Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's sharply. Edmund up. Oh, what a play, Tommy Edmund. As he robs Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Lined and caught at third by Donovan. Throw to first. Double play. Oh, what a play, Brendan Donovan. Two outs, runner at first, and a 2-2. Popped up right side. Goldie giving chase. Can he get there? Oh, he did. He made Chopper, Arnato, bare hands, throws, pick, got him, it's amazing, it's amazing, Arnato and Goldie, again! It's just dynamic stuff. The 2-2. Oh, and I would imagine a lot of people are happy with Little Mo today. Four Gold Glove finalists announced yesterday by Rawlings. Welcome everyone into our BK and Ferrario Friday edition. Alongside Brooke Grimsley, I'm Alex Ferrario. We are out here at Centene Community Ice Center in our E&B Granite Studios. Tanner Hendrickson back in our 101 ESPN Studios. And the Cardinals, they found out yesterday that Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Tommy Edmond, and Tommy Edmond slash Brendan Donovan were all finalists. You hear that and you say, Alex, you just repeated yourself. No, no, I didn't because of the new utility gold glove award. Brendan Donovan, Tommy Edmond, both in that conversation along with Tommy Edmond at second base. So, Brooke, let's just start there. Four nominees following last season with five nominees for the Cardinals. The gold gloves keep pouring in. Well, I mean, it's absolutely no surprise. I think... The only thing that I was slightly surprised about, you know, utility, I was thinking, okay, Tommy Edmond, that makes sense. And then you got the surprise of second, right? Where it's like, well, obviously he was great at second, but it's like, wait a minute, two yeah, that, that he's like up a- for. And then Brendan Donovan on top of that, that just shows how versatile and how big Donovan was for the Cardinals this past season because it's not like he was an everyday starter the entire season, but he was still able to come up, make an impact, and really force his way in to be an everyday starter. And we saw those great defensive plays that he had. So we're not really surprised. I think when it comes to who will take it away, I, I, it's, I think the one thing is Paul Goldschmidt 
it's I don't think he's going to take it away this year. You don't first. think he wins it this year at first? No. I, I could see, and it seems like Christian Walker is the one who's going to run away with it this year. Well, and T-Bone, you mentioned Matt Olson as the other guy that you thought could come away with it this year. See, for me, with Paul Goldschmidt at first base, I, I mean, granted, this is only a couple of instances, and you look at the season in, a, in its whole, but, I mean, Paul Goldschmidt, if Nolan Arenado's on the gold glove, rightfully so, Paul Goldschmidt should be as well because, I mean, the man made a couple of those plays, the plays that they are because of his play at first base from the throws with Nolan Arenado. But the competition, I guess, is there, right, T-Bone, at first base? Yeah, the competition is definitely there. The thing for Goldie is, and look, I agree, he's probably he probably should win the gold glove this year. The problem is, and it's weird to talk about, because when you look at him and see him play on an everyday basis, we all say, man, he's really good defensively. He looks like the gold glover again this year. But when you look at his advanced metrics, his advanced metrics were down this year. And that's what a lot of guys now look at when it comes to gold glove voting. I don't think it's anything to take away from Goldie, because I think he should win the gold glove, because I think he is better defensively with the eye test than Olsen and Christian Walker. The problem is, is I think a lot of voters are going to look at the defensive run saves and all those advanced metrics for defense, and he comes in a little bit lower this year than he did last year, and I think that's what's going to ultimately hurt him. But I do think that Edmund will win two gold gloves, which is really cool to That's incredible think about, to say. Because I think he wins second base, and I think he ultimately ends up winning the utility gold glove. I think Arnado wins the gold glove. So you're going to end up with two guys that are going to end up with gold gloves this season. Well, and the crazy part is, he does fall into both of these categories. Now, he started 89 games at second base this season, Tommy Edmond, that is, and then 80 games at shortstop, and then he had eight games at third third base and then three games in the outfield, but he was actually better defensively at shortstop than he was second base, but he played nine games less there, so he qualifies in the second base category. I'm with you. I think he wins both of those gold gloves in the utility category and um, the second base category. But this brings up the other conversation piece. When you see four guys, five guys, if you're going to look at it that way, with Donovan and Edmund for one spot, five guys up for the award, five guys that won the award last year, does this just reinforce the Cardinals' conversation and their idea of we pitch to contact and we let our defense do the job rather than going after that swing and miss stuff? Because... They did go out there and get some swing and miss stuff at the trade deadline. And Jordan Montgomery and Jose Quintana, I know you don't think swing and miss with James, but they, they were probably two of your best players. But you still got Steven Match. You still have Miles Michaelis. Wayne Wright's up in the air. Jack Flaherty's the swing and miss type. But do you think, Brooke, now that five guys up for four awards just reinforces that mindset from the Cardinals of, hey, we just need pitch to contact guys. Well, I think 100% because here's the thing is they're very clear about that as well. They'll tell you we really pride ourselves in our defense, and you've seen that with the Cardinals organization. I think the bigger question here moving forward is, that's great. Obviously, you want gold glove winners. I mean, they all deserve it. We've seen them put on highlight real worthy defensive plays the entire season, but Maybe the bigger question moving forward is, okay, you have a lot of your pitchers, ground ball pitchers, you know, there's kind of a de-emphasizing of strikeouts, it seems like, in the organization, but do the Cardinals need to maybe change their pitching philosophy moving forward? Because that seems to be where the rest of the league is going, where you have more emphasis on strikeouts. I, I think they need... I think they need to transition a little bit towards more of the strikeouts. I don't think they need to go full force in it because I think you can't have some guys that are still those 
ground ball pitchers, and I think they're kind of stuck with what the rotation's going to be heading into next year because I buy in that Wainwright's going to be back. So you're basically going to have the same rotation of Wayno, Flaherty, Matt, Michaelis, and Montgomery. So you're going to have a little bit of swing and miss if Flaherty stays healthy combined with Jordan Montgomery. The rest of the guys are more pitched to that contact style. But I do think the Cardinals need to find more swing and miss, and they may need to do that maybe out of the bullpen because this team last year, I know when we talked to, I think it was John Mosaloc, Alex, right before that playoff series started, we said, were there any like big lessons to learn from this past season? And he said, nah, I'm not sure as many. There were big lessons like last year where they said, hey, we just need guys to throw strikes. To me, it was a lesson. And to me, it was you need more swing and miss stuff because you saw guys that were brought in to be these quote-unquote contact pitchers, and they didn't work. Whitgren didn't work. TJ McFarland, who was good last season, didn't work. And every time we would talk to Ali Marmol, he'd say, yes, we need more swing and miss stuff. So I think they do need to go out there and find somebody that's got some of that. They were dead last in whiff percentage last year as a pitching staff, but they were top two in ground balls. And look, it's great to have all some ground ball pitchers, but I don't think your whole staff should really be built on this lack of swing and miss stuff. So I think they need to go find somebody to do that, whether that is they go out and get one of those top end aces like DeGrom that gets strikeouts or Verlander, trade for someone like Shane Bieber that can do that, or go find just another bullpen arm that can really complement that bullpen with Helsley and Gallegos and get more swing and miss stuff. Because playing playing by pitch to contact is a big gamble that sometimes doesn't work out, and that's when you see some of those games where the Cardinals get killed softly. What does work and works 100% of the time is strikeouts. Broken record Ferrario coming into play once again here, but I, I don't think this is the... I don't think you need to shift this mindset. If you go get someone who's got some strikeout stuff, great, but it worked for you this season because you won the NL Central. Now, I understand they went through some cold streaks and then you had to go to the trade deadline to go find yourself some starting pitching help, but the mentality worked throughout the season. And if you look at the regular season, the bottom 10 teams in terms of strikeouts, Padres were a playoff team, Blue Jays were a playoff team, Cardinals, Mets, Astros, Guardians. Those were three of the... I'm sorry, five, six teams in the bottom 10 were all at the bottom of strikeouts in Major League Baseball last season. And the one of the teams, second worst in Major League Baseball last year, right now looks to be a team that could be going to the World Series in the Houston Astros. So I don't know if that's as much necessary this offseason as other options that are there for them. But I do think it's one of those like, hey, if there's somebody sitting out there who's a clear strikeout pitcher, I'm with Tanner. I think you look more at the bullpen than the starting pitching side of things, then sure, go into it. But I'm not sitting here saying I need to throw all of my money at a strikeout pitcher this offseason because I feel like that's what I'm missing. I think the offense is still what you're missing from this team. The other conversation piece in this one is the outfield position. And Brooke, you sent this tweet to us from John Denton uh, earlier this morning. So John Denton tweeted out, of course, of MLB.com covers the Cardinals. Cards have had six players with 20 gold glove awards from the outfield, including three awards over the past two seasons. However, they're shut out in the outfield this season. Brendan Donovan, Tommy Edmond, both of whom saw time in the outfield, are finalists in the Utility Award. Do both of those players being finalists in the Utility Award this season, does that sway the Cardinals a little bit in the direction of, hey, maybe one of these guys could be a permanent outfielder for us? I could see, I think, I could see more of Edmund uh, kind of taking over that short role. You know how we brought up Paul DeYoung in that. And I can see Nolan Gorman and Brennan Donovan kind of switching off for, 
you know, second base. I think that that would actually work out well. I think when it comes to the outfield, you look towards Dylan Carlson. Is he going to be able to kind of turn the page and be a little bit more consistent this season? Lars Newbar, what is going to happen with Tyler O'Neill? I would like to have Tyler O'Neill back. That's a gold glove winner as well. And also when he's healthy, a pretty decent bat as well. So it, it is a little weird, though, because you would think, especially going into the season, outfield was one of the areas where you're like, this is going to be a strong point for the Cardinals. And then now towards the end, it's like, right. what in the world happened to the Cardinals outfield? And now you don't have any outfielders up for the Gold Glove Awards. For what it's worth, 37 games played in the outfield by Brennan Donovan this season, and I think it was eight that I mentioned Tommy Edmond played in the outfield. So I, I personally don't think, T-Bone, that they're going to look at that and say, oh, yeah, this is an outfielder for us next season. I think they're going to say we need to find an outfielder, but if you don't find anybody or the market doesn't present itself, it wouldn't surprise me if they sit here and say, like, you know what, maybe Brennan Donovan can get a little bit of a stretch run as the outfielder for us as we try and get Jordan Walker ready for reps up up top uh, with the majors. See, I, I think they look at Brendan Donovan as potentially being the everyday second baseman. And I know, like, when you look at his numbers. Over Nolan Gorman? I think Gorman's a DH hitter. That's who oh, I think. Oh, I thought Nolan you were Gorman where is. I was, where you think Gorman's going to be traded no, away. I, I think Gorman has a role on this team. I think it's DH. I, I think when you look at Brendan Donovan, I think it's more as the everyday second baseman. I know when you look at kind of his advanced metrics, because second base was his uh, second highest played position at 264 and a third innings pitched uh, or innings played last year and he was a minus one defensive run saved I, I think he's better defensively at second base than he is in the outfield and when you look at that outfield I agree with what you said that they're probably going to look for more of a surefire guy like a Brandon Nimmo someone that can play really good defense but also can provide a little bit of uh, quality at bats for you in the outfield and play every day that you trust like a Brandon Nimmo or someone along those that line and then if that's if you don't get that then I think what they still would do is I think they would rather keep Tyler O'Neill gamble on Tyler O'Neill keep him in left because he's a gold glover go back to Dylan Carlson in center who's good in center probably not a gold glove caliber guy and then stick with Newton right field because Newt's a good defensive outfielder too so I, I just don't know if you look at Donovan as an everyday outfielder at any point I think you look at him more as a utility guy and if you're a look at him at an everyday position I think they need to be looking at him as an everyday second baseman that's why I wonder what the role for Nolan Gorman is because you have potentially an infield if you have Donovan as the everyday second baseman that had four Gold Glove nominees in Arnato at third, Edmund at short, Donovan at second, Goldie at first base. And if that's the case, what position are they going to play Nolan Gorman at? They don't seem as high on. They don't seem. They don't seem to be portraying. That's not the right word. Uh, the the portraying. You're good. Portraying. Thank you. They don't seem to be portraying his future as just a DH like I am. I think Gorman is best suited to just be a DH bat and a guy that could come off your bench. They don't seem to be willing to do that. But if that's the case. Where are, where are you going to play him? Are you going to stick with him at second base? Because without the shifts, I think you want someone that's better defensively, and Donovan's better defensively there than what Gorman is, or do you go and get a shortstop, which I don't think they're going to do, and move Edmund back to second? You see, I'm with you there. I don't think that they're going to go do that. I, this is my prediction of how things are going to look when we start next season. Exactly what you said. Tyler O'Neill, hopefully healthy, is going to be... <laughs> Left. I love hearing hopefully healthy <laughs> for my left healthy. fielder. Uh, he's going to be left in your outfield, and then you have Dylan Carlson, your future center fielder, and then Lars Newtbar, right field. I can see Nolan Gorman and Brennan Donovan still kind of your combination for second base. And then I say Edmund Short. I like it. 
if I were to go bold prediction here, I think Nolan Gorman's not on this team. I think Juan Yepes is your DH. I think Tyler O'Neill's not on this team. I think Jordan Walker is probably your left fielder. And then insert free agent name here in right field. So you see them as a part of a pretty package to be able to go get that big name. Either go get that bat that you're searching for or go get that pitcher that you need. I would like that. But, <laughs> I would like it too. Maybe but, that's my bold prediction is what I would I like think, to happen. I think my thought process is what we've kind of seen from the Cardinals organization. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, we'll ask Mike Fair in this. He's a host of MLB Network Radio. He's going to join us at 1130. Uh, we're, we'll get his thoughts maybe on the possibility of Nolan Gorman being the everyday second baseman or maybe being on another team. But we'll also talk a little hot stove with Mike Farron as well. Coming up next, does this weekend for the Blues taking on the Edmonton Oilers, is that going to give us a better idea if Jordan Cairo can be a permanent player with Ryan O'Reilly? We'll discuss that and more next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. O'Reilly played with Toronto a long time here. Uh, it's a certain style of play that they have. You know, that's not going to happen with Kyra. He's a different player. So they got to feel each other out, and, and you know, they got to give and take a little bit to make it work. That's the bottom line. That was Craig Berube, Blues head coach, with the fast lane before the season began. And you can hear Craig Berube weekly on the fast lane here on 101 ESPN alongside Brooke Grimsley and Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario. So, yes, the Blues have only played two games this season. And, yes, that is a very small sample size to be judging them on anything. But I think you're about to get a really good taste of competition in the next four games for the St. Louis Blues. And specifically, I think you're going to look at that quote-unquote shutdown line that we all view so well with the Blues of Jordan Cairo and Ryan O'Reilly. So that line, I, I think from a lot of people's perspective, Brooke, in the two games this season have been underwhelming. They haven't really created a lot of offense. They haven't scored a lot of goals. And it just hasn't been crisp. I know Jeremy Rutherford said that earlier this week. I believe it was with us talking about those two uh, playing together. But here's the thing. They've had 15 scoring chances for. They've allowed nine scoring chances. They've scored one goal compared to three goals that they've allowed when they were on the ice. They've had five high-danger scoring chances. And if you look at the Blues, according to MoneyPuck.com, the expected goals, Jordan Cairo has the highest expected goals on the team. Again, this is a short sample size with two games, but do you feel like we're going to find out a better identity of those two playing together Saturday against Edmonton, you got Monday against Winnipeg, and then Wednesday, Thursday against Edmonton and Nashville? Yeah, I think 100% because here's the thing. The players have said over and over again, this schedule and having so much time in between has really kind of affected their play a little bit. A little bit, Of course, they're professionals, not making excuses for anything, but it is a little bit hard to really gain momentum because, of course, you're trying to build chemistry off the ice in practices, but that changes. It's a totally different atmosphere when you're actually playing in a game together. So I think the more that they play the more that Jordan Cairo and O'Reilly will get comfortable with each other. And I think, too, depending on what's going on with Pavel Buchnevich, I could see Craig Berube just saying, okay, we don't have 
you know, Buchnevich right now. We're letting him kind of heal up a little bit with whatever he's dealing. Let's maybe switch things around a little bit. I really like the idea we touched on this yesterday of maybe bringing Braden Shin into that yeah. situation where, okay, O'Reilly lost Perron, as Baruby mentioned there, and they had great chemistry, as we all know. Braden Shin and O'Reilly have great chemistry, and I feel like that would only benefit Kairou. For Kairou, my takeaway was he improved from game one to game two. He had, what, a minus two rating Mm -hmm. in the Blue Jackets game, and he was a lot more active in that second game. I think that he will continue to progress. He just needs more games. Yeah, and I think that's why I'm really looking forward to this one this weekend because – no disrespect to the Columbus Blue Jackets, but they're they're actually a better team than I think people are giving them credit for. But they also didn't have one of their best shooters in Patrick Line. So you couldn't really judge that line going up against their top line. Seattle's top line, it's good, but it's not going to be anything that you sit here and say, wow, they went up against that line. You're about to find out in this one this weekend if Ryan O'Reilly is going up against the Connor McDavid's because that's going up against the best in the game. And if... Jordan Cairo can stay with those skaters, then I think you're probably having different conversations because as much as we want Jordan Cairo to score goals, and that needs to be his biggest thing, it is going to take some time to get chemistry, but let's also not deny Ryan O'Reilly's game. It's playing defense. So as good as Jordan Cairo is going to have to be on offense, he's going to have to be just that good defensively for this team to have success. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the next step that we've been kind of waiting to see from Jordan Cairo. Look, we all know that he is a superstar. We see the potential, and I'm not taking away anything. We all know that it was kind of a breakout season for him last year with 27 goals and 48 assists. But still, I think that we know that there's a lot more that we can see from Jordan Cairo. And I think that that's why the Blues won, gave him that big pay raise saying, we see you as a future star here. We want to invest in you. And I think at this point, it's about whatever it takes to make him successful. You need to surround him with the people that will make him successful. I I really would like to see Shin, O'Reilly, and Kairou in one of these games, yeah. just to test it out. Yeah, and for as much as we talk about this line, I mean, Alex, you read off the numbers. It does feel like this line has just had a lack of chemistry or something along those lines, but the numbers don't seem to back that up. So, like, I, I look at this and I say – these four games will definitely tell me what this line truly looks like. And the biggest person I'm going to circle on the line is Jordan Cairo. Because it, to me, Ryan O'Reilly will be, probably be the guy matched up with Connor McDavid. And the biggest thing I said when I think we talked about the Cairo extension in the offseason was the way that he can really live up to this contract is because of his goal scoring. But he can't become, he can't remain a massive defensive liability like he was last year, especially if he's going to be on this top line with Ryan O'Reilly. That's where his growing pains are going to come in this season. And I think he, I think with him competing with Ryan O'Reilly on the line, I think it's going to help build his defensive prowess. So I, I think you're going to – my guy that I'm going to circle this weekend is Jordan Cairo. Does he become – not? I'm not saying a lockdown defender, but does he become someone that can just be – liable on that line he doesn't become someone where it's like okay Ryan O'Reilly's out there but then Jordan Cairo's out there and it just doesn't look right and Cairo's not doing his job and someone kind of sneaks in on the wing and scores like that's the biggest thing for me long as he isn't a liability this weekend I think you keep this line together and just continue to build off the chemistry from Ryan O'Reilly and Jordan Cairo let me ask you both this because we got to get out of here and get to Mike Farron who's the number one center on this team currently Robert Thomas okay Robert Thomas see we didn't even we didn't even like pause or you guys think. didn't even hesitate, which I actually that that ruins my whole segment. But I'm wondering 
if you're going to find that out in the next four games as well, because I still view it. Yes, Robert Thomas is the top dog on this team, but Ryan O'Reilly, in my opinion, although the ice time hasn't shown it, he's still the guy that Craig Ruby's going to throw out there when another team showcases their best offensive line. And you're going to see that. Connor McDavid, Evander Kane, and Zach Hyman, they're going to be playing Saturday. Who's going up against that line? That, to me, is going to be really telling how Craig Berube distributes that because you're also on the road, so you don't get your line changes. So these next four games where you take on Winnipeg and Edmonton twice and Nashville, I think one you're going to find out about Cairo and O'Reilly. If it doesn't work by the end of that Nashville game next week, I would wonder if you're going to start to see some things change up. All that's pending, Buchnevich's injury, whatever that might be. But I also think you're going to find out who the designated top line is because if he he um, deploys Thomas's line against the McDavid's and against the Matt Duchesne's against Nashville and the Kyle Connors against Winnipeg, you're you, you know right then and there that's our top line moving forward. Uh, at least in Craig Berube's eyes, going up on the offensive side and the defensive side. Brooke Grimsley, Tanner Hendrickson, and Alex Ferrario. We will get to ask us anything. It's Friday, so you send us your questions, whatever it is. 65780. But coming up next, Mike Farron, host of MLB Network Radio. He joins us next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Brooke Grimsley, who is filling in for BK today, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario. We got Ask Us Anything coming up in 10 minutes or so, so send us over your questions, 65780, Air Comfort Service text line. But now let's head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. He's one of my favorites to talk baseball. Mike Farron, host of MLB Network Radio. You could follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore Farron. Mike the hot stove is heating up in St. Louis because, once again, bounced out of the wild card round. But the playoffs have still been entertaining. How are you today, buddy? I'm great. I'm sitting in Philadelphia getting ready for uh, game three tonight of the NLCS on our coverage here. So um, excited to be here and excited for what's been been a fun series so far. Absolutely. I, I've loved this NLCS despite people saying that it's a five and six seed going head to head. It's been entertaining. And then, of course, you get the two top dogs going head to head in the American League. Mike, just to kind of comp and talk Cardinals with the postseason that's going on right now, in your opinion, you saw those two games in the wild card and what you've seen so far through the postseason. How, how would you compare the Cardinals to these teams still playing in, in, in the playoffs? Yeah, I think they're pretty comparable. I mean, I think, you know, one of the issues with any tournament that you have is that um, the best team is not always going to win. I think it it's, you know, I was doing some of these numbers the other day, and since divisional play started in 1969, and that's, you know, this removes 1994 from it, right, because there was no postseason, but those 52 seasons of postseason ball, like only 14 times is the best team, or the team with the best record won. So you're going to see that happen a lot. So I, I think it's pretty comparable. I mean, I think that the Cardinals probably were a better team on paper um, than these two teams were. You know, they, the talent level was there. Certainly they got carried for most of the season by the performance of Arenado and Goldschmidt. And, you know, I, I'm so curious what it would have looked like with a healthy Jack Flaherty for them. But, um, you know, they, they certainly are right in the mix for maybe they're not at the level of Atlanta or the Dodgers or maybe even the Mets, but 
they would have been in that that next grouping with with these two, um, certainly. So, Mike, what do you think now? Obviously, as you just mentioned, there it would be nice to have seen the Cardinals this late into October. What do you think is maybe the position or what they should go after this off season? Do you think pitching? You know a big bat, anything like that. What do you think is that missing piece that they need to address this off season? Yeah. I mean, I, I have felt like for a number of years, that shortstop was a spot they were a little bit deficient in. And I know that there was just um, some comments the other day about trying to figure out, you know, what's been going on with Paul DeYoung and, and trying to get things right there. Um, that would be one of the things that I would be looking at. You know, I think there's probably they probably need a little bit more swing and miss in the rotation. I think that's the other thing that I would look at. You know, again, like if Jack Flaherty were healthy this year, we might be talking about a completely different story with him because he's certainly that you know capable of being that front line guy. Um, but they could use some help in that regard, and they're really well positioned to be able to add, not just because you know, the Cardinals and they can flex a unique amount of financial muscle for being, um, you know, that market size. But I think the other thing is that their system is deep enough that um, if there are players that are controllable and young and fit their needs, I think they can certainly, they can certainly, um, you know, try and make a deal. I, I think one thing to watch with some of the rule changes that are coming next year is how they handle second base going forward. You know, Tommy Edmond obviously is terrific defensively, but they tried to slide into short to get Nolan Gorman in the lineup. Gorman's not a perfect fit in a in a more traditional second base sense. You know, they could shift away some of those um, issues that you would have with a second baseman by by just you know putting him in shallow right and positioning him well. And maybe I'll be interested to see how teams actually handle this because they may try and do things the same way just with a little bit shallower positioning, but I would think that Gorman, you know, despite some of the struggles he had at the big leagues, is still a pretty attractive chip, especially if the team needed power at third base. Um, and I think that they have plenty of guys that are coming behind that that could help in that regard as well. So, um, you know, it's, you know, I'd love, love to see them have a left-handed hitter in that lineup that provided some thump, which obviously Gorman is. I think that you could fi- find, you know, potentially somebody to play shortstop at a little bit higher level. I think that would help. And I think some depth in the rotation. But I don't think that they need a major overhaul. You know, the bigger thing would be if Nolan Arenado decided that he wanted to test free agency and opt out. And he hasn't really signaled that, but that certainly is right with the contract. Um, that would suddenly become, change priorities a little bit. But I'm just assuming that Arenado is going to stay either, um, you know, on the current contract or with some sort of, you know, extension beyond what's left to, to be there because he seems like a perfect fit. And obviously you guys have, have had to have loved watching him play, especially this year because that dude's ridiculous. Oh, absolutely. And I think I've just mentally uh, blocked out any thoughts of him opting out of his contract because I just don't know if I could take the pain of him leaving. But uh, again, we're talking with Mike Farron of MLB Network Radio with us here on BK and Ferrario. And Mike, speaking of the offseason, you know, I've, I've said this for the last couple of weeks since they've got bounced in that wild card where it's been two straight years where the pitching has done well in the playoffs for them, whether it was Wainwright last year against the Dodgers or I know it's not what you want, but Jose Quintana pitching in game one and Michaelis pitching game two. 
I've kind of continued to state like they got to get out of their comfort zone where they don't want to spend the money on these free agents that are out there because they feel like internally they have that player there. I'm not even looking at it as a specific position. I'm looking at it as they just need that third impact bat to complement right. Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. Am I off? No, 100% agree. I, I think that's kind of what's been missing, and that's where I'm going with, with you know, that left-handed bat. You know, it would be really nice to have it be left-handed because it would help to balance things right a little bit more. So, And, you know, listen, they, I mean, there are some things that could happen internally. I mean, we just talked about Gorman, right? Like, Dylan Carlson's still a very young player. Like, maybe there is more power to come with him. I think it was certainly encouraging the way that he played center field this year. I mean, it allowed them to make the Montgomery for Bader trade, you know, because they, they were confident enough in Carlson's defense. And, and defense is obviously a huge calling card of this front office. I mean, that's been something that they really have focused on over the last decade. So, you know, maybe there's some of that that comes from within in that regard. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think that there needs to be someone who's impactful. It doesn't necessarily have to be in free agency, though. It can be in trade. And just watching the way that they've operated, they have been much more comfortable adding players via trade, right? They did it with Goldschmidt they, and extended him. They did it with Arenado, knowing that they, you know, they've got a little bit of a rebate with Colorado throwing in 50 million bucks. But like, those are the kind of guys that I would be looking for. So if you can identify a left-handed hitter who can fit into that lineup in that regard, I think that would be the spot. It, I was a little bit surprised that they weren't more willing to pull the trigger on Soto. I get that they have, some impact guys that would have been in there and, and having, you know, before I left the road, I did get to see Jordan Walker play a couple of games in the fall league. And I saw the summer of the futures game. And I understand why they didn't want to move him. Like he's, he has a chance to be a potentially impactful offensive player, but they really have that need now. And their window is open now. You know, there there's Goldschmidt season was tremendous, right? I know it was a little slower in September, but how many more great years of Paul Goldschmidt have left as he gets into his mid-30s is a real question, I think. So I think those are spots. And the other thing I would say, too, is like, you know, and I know that this is just beyond the defense of stuff, but like, what are their options really at catcher next year? You know what I mean? Like, is, is Andrew Kisner going to be the guy every day? Is there a veteran that they can bring in there? There's not a whole lot of guys that are, you know, tremendous two-way players in that regard. Could they do something that's a prospect-for-prospect prospect type thing where they try to get, say, a Gabriel Moreno from Toronto, who is a, a really deep... You know, they have three really good catchers, two big leaguers, um, and Moreno, who just you know, touched the big leagues this year. You know, Is that something they could do? There are there are a ton of possibilities for them, but I agree that they are, they are still short that one impactful back that takes them from being in that second tier of National League teams to the first. And they have other needs, clearly. But those other things are easier to fill. Even if they were to find a bat misser for the rotation, it's so deep in free agency that in the starting pitching class, I don't think that they need to go out and like spend at the very top of the market to be able to add someone. I think they can add depth guys, but maybe with a little different profile than some of the other starters that they've had. Well, Mike, I wanted to follow up on Jordan Walker because I think for us here, we've already started talking about him being that impact bat possibly next season for them in the outfield, which fills two spots. Uh, I know it was only a short sample size of what you saw at the Arizona Fall League, but do you have do you have a gut feeling that maybe Jordan Walker could make this team out of the camp, or do you feel like that's kind of one of those slow process plays? Yeah, 
I think there's probably a little bit more room for development there. And listen, I think there are a couple of things too. Like he played center field one of the games that I I was at, which I thought was really interesting. He's got a terrific arm, but he's not really a center fielder, right? Like he's not going to be that kind of rangy guy. And I do think that that you know one of the things that that when you talk about somebody that's his size, because he's massive, like he's a huge, not not like you know, like NFL lineman big, but like he looks like a small forward in the NBA big, right? Like he's, he's really put together. You know, you wonder about as he adds muscle in the winter tier of the season, how much he slows down, which is, I think part of the reason why they're trying in left field, you know, obviously with, with Arenado there too, that made sense. So um, I don't know. We, we had the same conversation last winter. I feel like with Gorman, right? Like at some point Gorman's going to impact the roster Oh, we need that power. Well, we saw the struggles that Gorman had, right? Now, contact isn't, or and quality contact isn't necessarily the same issue with Walker as it was with with Gorman in the minor leagues. Gorman's strikeout rate was higher, but I do think that there's a huge adjustment period. And I think if you want to go into this season, you're banking on being one of the top teams in the league. I don't think you can necessarily count on Jordan Walker to produce at a high level. If he does, if you can prepare yourself where if Walker can take one of those jobs and run with it at some point during the course of the season, it has built a significantly deeper roster. You mentioned uh, the rule changes and how that will affect the Cardinals. What do you think, too, about the more balanced schedule that they will experience next season? Is that also going to kind of force them to get out of their comfort zone this offseason when it comes to adding in people or trades and different things like that that they'll be looking at? You know, I really haven't considered it that way, Brooke, but, but it's an interesting thought because the it's just a little different. Like, there's going to be a little less familiarity, right? So there's you're not going to see, you know, the Pirates 19 times. You're going to see them 13. That's a lot of, of potential wins that are off the table for you. Same with Cincinnati, right? Like, I think the Reds are going to get better quick here. They, they, I'm sure you guys saw, too, the, the, there was a fair amount of talent on the mound there. There are some young players that are coming. I think both those spots are going to be good within the next couple of years. But I think it's going to make the competition a little bit different for those central division clubs where you can't just beat up on the bottom of the division. So I don't know that you necessarily have to focus on building a team differently. I mean, I think you're probably looking to build the best team that you can. But I do think there are going to be some adjustments in the way that you have to prepare, knowing that you know those six games that you are losing against the Pirates and the six against the Reds are going to be filled by, say, like 12 games against the Astros, Mariners, you know, Angels, uh, Rangers, you know, just as an example, because you're going to have three, you know, series with everybody. So I think it, it's more in the preparation standpoint than it is in the personnel standpoint, but I do think it adds a different dynamic to it. Mike, I could do this all day, but I know you got to get on MLB Network Radio soon. People can listen to you on that. They can follow you, follow you on Twitter at Mike underscore Farron. Always appreciate the time, sir. You're one of my favorites. Uh, have fun with the rest of this postseason, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you once the hot stove continues to heat up. Anytime. Talk again soon. There you go. Mike Farron, one of my favorites with us here on BK and Ferrario. Uh, we'll touch on a couple of notes that Mike had for us there, but we also got Ask Us Anything coming up next. You can text us 65780. We'll get to your questions next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 
65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, will the next four games give us a real taste of what this Blues team could be this season? We'll get into that then. But now, let's get to your questions here on BK and Ferrario. And, of course, it's a Friday, so you can ask us anything like this texter did from the 314. Guys, what is your favorite place to get a sandwich? And, gals, I apologize, Brooke. Favorite place to get a sandwich? Yeah. In town here? Yeah, or anywhere. Um, let's see, Gramophone. Ooh, Gramophone. That that that's a good spot. That that's more of like a cheat day sandwich place. <laughs> Every day's a cheat day for me. Yeah, Brooke. I mean it's not the healthiest sandwiches, but right. they're delicious. You're not gonna like the word that's gonna come out of my mouth next. Mine's joyous. Give I me a hot. I don't think I've been. Oh, go get yourself a hot salami sandwich. A hot salami oh, sandwich. Brooke. Okay. It is the best thing. I saw them. They were on. Uh, they were on, I think it was Fox 2 a couple of nights or a couple of mornings ago. I was watching in the morning because I watch the news in the morning, T-Bone. Oh, man. I know. But, but you watched the wrong one. You're supposed to watch KMOV. Come on. I, you... I didn't get up that early, Brooke. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a threshold where KMOV moves on, and I shouldn't have said that because you're sitting right next to me. But anyway, they were interviewing uh, Alex over at Joyous, and let me tell you, watching him make that hot salami sandwich, I was hungry at 730 in the morning. T-Bone? I'll say Joy is probably one of my favorites here in St. Louis because I'm with you. I like the hot salami sandwich. Wednesday, I had it back in the office after our oh. show. Went and got one. Oh, it it's really good. I've never heard. I've never been to the place that Brooks at. So I gramophone. Yeah, that's. Um, I have to go try that one. Is that Sulard area? No, that's a Tower Grove. Tower Grove. Okay. And it's a. They stay open late. It's really good. They just have like like a, a stage there too that you could go in and sit down. They get bands sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's a really good Go place. check it out, T-Bone. Go get yourself some gramophone. Uh, from the 636, guys, I feel like Buchnevich is a more natural fit with Ryan O'Reilly and Jordan Cairo than he is with Thomas and Tarasenko. I still love 89, 18, and 91, but I feel like Buchnevich would be better on that top line. I understand where you're coming from, but I, I'm not touching that line no matter what because two games, even without Buchnevich on that line, against Seattle, they were still so dominant. But, man, watching them play together with Buchnevich, it's interesting. I I think your future top line is probably going to be Buchnevich, Thomas, and Jordan Kairou after this season, depending on what your offseason looks like. But I I don't think I'm moving Buchnevich. If I'm moving anything, it it would be Shen up to that top line. I I agree with that as well. I mean, unless, barring any crazy injuries or something like that, I feel like that line, the chemistry they've built since last season has carried over into this season as well. And you can just see how well they all work with each other. They complement each other. I think it's, I see, as we mentioned before, just Shin more with that top line more than anything. And Buchnevich is fantastic, but I feel like he needs to be with Thomas and Tarasenko. And that's where I am too, is I, I don't really want to break up that line. That line's untouchable unless the team really goes through just kind of a five game like down stretch where they're just not generating offense then maybe you try and break them up but I I agree with what Brooks said I I think at some point this year Shen will be up on that top line I think Shen and Cairo will be kind of going back and forth on that top line top line or Shen and Saad one of those two so I I I don't see Buchnevich playing with Ryan O'Reilly unless it is like the offense has gone really cold yeah 
uh, from the 3114. They said, I hate you all now. Now I'm trying to crunch the time numbers to find out if I can make it to Joya's and back uh, at my lunch break. You'll make it. Tanner will bring it up to you. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, from the 618, I wanted to get your opinion on a great defensive team versus the really good offenses, but defensively below average. Here they are in the NLCS, and all they're consistently having five gold defenders, but you can't seem to make it out of the first round. But you look at the Phillies and Padres, who have all of these guys that struggle defensively, but they can mash. So great defensive teams versus great offensive teams, T-Bone. I, I know this gets your old old man blood pumping. Yeah, I, I just think it comes down to, I, I do think you need to be good defensively in the playoffs. I know the Phillies have advanced, but again, I think they just got hot with their bats at the right time. And honestly, they've played really good defense in the playoffs. I know when you look at them, they're not Keith Hernandez approved defensively, but they've been really good in the playoffs. I mean, Alec Bone was awesome in the series against uh, the Cardinals at third base. Took, took a couple of hits away from Nolan Arnato himself. Uh, but I, I think it comes down to do your bats mash in the playoffs. The Phillies did. and the, But I do think you do need to have really good defense when you get there too, because then you can take away runs. I think the Cardinals would have scored more than the three runs in that series had Bomb not pl- Bo- or excuse me. Bohm played really good defensively. Uh, they made a couple of good plays in the outfield as well, running down some balls. So I-, I think you have to have good defense to win in the playoffs. And I know the Phillies are viewed as this bad defensive team, but their defense has been good in the playoffs. Their defense has been really good in the playoffs, and their bats are mashing. So I think you got to have that combination of both. Yeah, I, I agree with you there because, I mean, I just remember Bohm making Nolan Arnado-esque yeah, plays at third base there. And they have improved, and they have improved at the right time, as you mentioned. It's all about getting hot at the right time, and that's exactly what the Phillies did. And, I mean, honestly, they have seemed to do pretty well offensively and defensively in this postseason. Yeah, I, I, like, I think you have to be good defensively if you're going to want to win a World Series. I don't think there's any question on that. But I also think you got to be really good defensively in certain areas. Like, I think you have to be really good at the corners at the infield, like the Cardinals have. And I think you have to have a really one really good defenseman in the outfield for you to make that outfield run. And I, I think other than that, if you fill those other spots where you're average, maybe a little bit above average, if the bats play, I think that's a benefit to a team. But that's just my opinion. I know a lot of people view it and say you need to be good defensively everywhere, but we'll see who comes out on top uh, with the World Series this season. Final one from the 314. What non-sports-related thing are you guys looking forward to this weekend? I can tell you mine. I'm taking my daughters to Grant's Farm uh, later on tonight for their Halloween thing um she, they're one and a half in two months so i'm really looking forward to being out there for 10 minutes before they start screaming uh, and <laughs> want to go home uh for me i don't really have anything because i'm working <laughs> I'm so work- brooke is I'm, all sports I, i'm all sports this weekend um that's what we like so to see. maybe i'll just fit in a gramophone trip in between there i don't know and that's a, what i'll look forward and to and a joyous sandwich and a joyous sandwich. I, I was going to say, I, I'm mostly doing sports-related stuff this week, and I will say, though, the one thing I'm looking forward to is my family's coming to town, so I'm going to have dinner with them and the grandparents sometime tomorrow night. So I guess that's my one non-sports-related thing that I'm looking forward What's to. What's for dinner, week. T-Bone? Soup? I don't know. No, no, I'm not cooking dinner. No. It, mine would be, <laughs> if I were cooking dinner, it'd be like a frozen pizza or some nice nice soup. But You I know, all we're like go my frozen dinner. pizzas. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to get together somewhere because, uh, yeah, they don't want T-Bone cooking. How about this? Bruce Bochy has been hired as the Texas Rangers manager, signs a three-year contract. I, I'll be honest, that does not shock me at all because no, I remember, neither. I think it was Ken Rosenthal had a piece on the head or the managerial openings 
this coming offseason are the ones that he thought might be open. And Bruce Bochy reportedly had an itch to get back. I think after he left the Giants, he went and coached. I think it was like the Netherlands or someone in the World Baseball Classic or just internationally. I, I think uh, I think that's a really good hire. That that Rangers team has some talent on it. They just needed a guy that was a good manager. And I went to a Texas Rangers game this year on my vacation. And let me tell you, the guy they had was not a good manager because I kept looking at what he was doing going, what the hell are you doing? You have this talent. You're not a, you're not winning and B, why are you doing this? So I think Bochy's the perfect hire for them. Why, I, why are you going to a Texas Rangers game on, for uh, during vacation? I like That's to the visit, last thing I'd want to do. Oh, I like to visit all the ballparks. I've been oh, to T-bones. 16 Major League Baseball ballparks plus like 10 minor league ballparks. T-Bone's a baseball connoisseur. He's just That's running right. all over the place to see which rules are good, which rules aren't good, right? That's right. And taste the hot dogs. But I actually think <laughs> this is a great hire also and now i'm fully invested in the texas rangers spending money this offseason too like I, they've spent it already with Corey seager and bringing in um marcus simeon now i think they spend money on the pitching side and they put themselves into a playoff conversation next year i could be i could see them being a dark horse for one of these aces yep. that's on the market i don't know if it'll be so much the signing because that they already committed to john gray you don't think aaron judge is, made is aaron judge a, po- a possibility for them I don't think they go that big. I, I think if they get an ace, it's trade. Like, if you want to talk about a team to compete with the Cardinals, if Bieber's available, they might be that team. Or do they go after, like, a Jacob DeGrom? I just don't know if they'll spend that kind of money. I think they'll spend. I just don't know if it'll know, be that man. much. If Bochi comes in and says, I can manage this team to be a playoff team, you just got to go get me the pieces. I wonder if they throw the money out there for them. So, uh, regardless, that is our Ask Us Anything segment. Thanks for all the text messages. Coming up in 15 minutes, it's the day of the week that we all dread. It's our NFL Pick'em Challenge. No, I don't mind the Pick'em Challenge. I'm pretty good at it. You've lost twice. I, yeah, okay, too. but I have a much better record than you but Brooke's and BK. Here making the picks for BK, and Brooke is going to add in the third punishment for this week. So we'll get to that in 15. But coming up next, the next four games for the Blues are all against highly competitive teams. Does that... Will that give you a different vibe of this Blues team once these four games wrapped up? That's next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Grimsley and Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario. We are out here at the Centene Community Ice Center in our E&B Granite Studios. Blues back in action tomorrow afternoon at Edmonton Oilers. Three o'clock puck drop. I've got your first community credit union pregame show starting at two o'clock alongside Joe Vitale. And of course, you hear all that action right here on 101 ESPN. And the Blues, they have two games in hand. Well, two games that they've played already, I should say. And they're 2-0 on the season, by the way. Only undefeated team in the National Hockey League, T-Bone. Only undefeated team. Only team on pace for 82 wins, too. And yet, for some reason, the great Dom over the Athletic. Oh, Dom. He has the Blues ranked 10th on his power rankings. What the heck are we doing here? Uh, That's probably fair. All joking aside, they did have them ranked 10th. Uh, The only team in the Central Division ranked higher than the Blues were the Colorado Avalanche, which does not surprise me. But in their rankings, they said, look, it's a small sample size. And they said, from the two games that we've seen, it's what you expected from the Blues. It's 
a lot of goals scored, but not a lot of expected goals, which was kind of the narrative of this team um, last season. But a lot of people look at this team and say, maybe, yeah, they're 2-0, great. They've got turnover issues. Bennington looks locked in. The offense looks fine. But it's been two games against two underwhelming teams. The next four games that the Blues play, though, they've got Edmonton Saturday afternoon. They play Winnipeg on Monday, and then they do a back-to-back home against Edmonton on the road against Nashville. These next four games, are they going to give us a better idea of what this Blues team actually is, Brooke? I think so, and what I'm specifically looking at is one Jordan Cairo, if he will continue to improve, and two, Jordan Bennington and what he looks like. Because I think how Jordan Bennington is and how he performs, if it's just like if he follows up like how he did last season, or I guess I should say postseason, and he's able to continue that here early on, I think that that would be a good indicator of where this team is at at least identity-wise, because I think Jordan Bennington, his success is going to have a lot to do with the Blues' success this season. So so you said that. Let me ask you as a, kind of a follow-up with that then, and T-Bone, jump in on this too, please. Who are you more focused on this in this stretch of games, these four games, starting tomorrow afternoon? Are you more focused on how Jordan Bennington performs? Are you more focused on how the defense performs? Or are you more focused on how the offense performs? Well, I think that defense kind of plays into how Jordan Bennington performs as well, because you would like to see them kind of clean things up. As we mentioned, you know, obviously that last game they won, but still you had some turnovers, you had some sloppy moments, and those are things that can actually cost you in these next few games because you're going up against the likes of a Connor McDavid who's going to really take advantage of mistakes that you might have there. So if they're able to clean things up, I think that that will... I mean, help Jordan Bennington. So I'm just looking at Jordan Bennington because I want to see him continue to build on his confidence. But yes, I think defensively they need to really shore some things up as well. Yeah, I agree with that. The defense is going to have to shore, shore things up because if not, I I think this is going to be a tough four-game stretch because Edmonton, as Brooke said, can make you pay. Nashville will find a way to make you pay. And Winnipeg's in that stretch as well. And Winnipeg's still kind of an enigma as what they're going to be this year, but they have goal scorers that can beat you as well. But if I had to say one, guy, one thing that I'm looking – for in this stretch it is Jordan Bennington because I mentioned it last year you look at his numbers and Bennington starts the year off really well like he has this year and then it wasn't this early that he kind of had that tailspin where he lost the starting job but I want to know does he still look as confident in these next four games they're going up against good competition and if the defense is playing poor in front of him can he make those big time saves that we've seen early on in the season because I'm going to stick to this he is the guy that is going to dictate how far this Blues team can go. They're, I don't think the defense is ever going to get to a point where they're just a shutdown defense and Bennington's not going to face a lot of shots. I think he's going to continue to face a lot of shots, and I think he's going to continue to see a lot of high-danger scoring opportunities. Can he make those saves and make those big momentum saves while also not allowing those back-breaking goals? So he's definitely the number one guy I'm going to keep an eye on in this four-game stretch. Yeah, I think you're going to have a really good idea of this team. And look, you, you, you'll, you're not going to have any idea what this team truly is until you get into the dog days of the season. But I think watching them go up against highly competitive teams after they haven't really had a lot of games, you're going to see some sloppy play out of it. But you're also going to see them adjust, and with the stretch of games where they play four games in, what is that, five days, 
That's going to give you a better IR four four games in six days. That's going to give you a better idea of how this team's going to be able to perform. But you guys are right. Like for me, it's Jordan Bennington. Jordan Bennington made some insane saves the other night against the Seattle Kraken, which a lot of that is on the defense putting him in a bad spot. But if your goaltender is making those types of saves for you, then I think you have a better understanding of how this team is going to be able to perform. And look, Edmonton right now, according to moneypuck.com, is the top half of the league in terms of high danger scoring chances and shots on goal. So, and expected goals, I should say. So you got a really good team offensively. Defensively, they're not as sound. They got a minus two goal differential already through four games. So you're going to, you know, you can score. But can you find a way to defend, and can Jordan Bennington make those saves? Winnipeg is a Central Division opponent. Same with the Nashville Predators. And then you got Edmonton. You're going to have a better understanding of how this team can play, but I also think you're, also, you're going to want to see the elements that you need to be confident in, which is goaltending and goal scoring. Defensively, I'm not as... You want to see it tightened up, but I'm not as concerned with these next four games specifically tomorrow because you're still trying to tighten these things up because you haven't played an, an awful lot of games, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I I think you're really going to see it because defensively, I, I think they're better than they were last year. We've talked about that all offseason, ever since they signed Nick Letty, I, to where Pareko and Letty are going to be kind of that shutdown pairing, Falken Krug offensive-minded, and then you've got the Mikola Bortuzzo pairing, which I think has been pretty good so far this year. I, I, I think you will see... If they can make, I don't want to say if they can make that defensive adjustment, but I think you'll have a better idea of can the defense, because I think if they quit turning the puck over, which we talked about yesterday, I, I think you see the defense playing a lot better. It looks a lot better than what we've seen so far. And and that's really what I'm going to be highlighting is if there's one thing, and I think Bruby will get this adjusted in, the, in this time off that they've had, is it's the turnovers. Can the defense limit the turnovers? Because that was the one thing that he took away. And if they do, I mean, I think they're really good as a five on five team, and, and they should be able to compete with the Edmonton Oilers. They should be able to compete with the Nashville Predators. So, like, if it's just limiting turnovers, I think they're going to put themselves in a good position to have success in this four-game stretch. I'm glad you brought that up. Are, do you look at this team similar to how they were last season, Brooke, early on? Because, as I mentioned in the athletic piece where they had the power rankings, it says it's a lot of what they had last season, where a lot of goals scored – but the expected goals are not high up there, which essentially they're saying the Blues are just getting lucky with their goal scoring. Yeah, well, so last season they started off with, was it four straight wins or five? I think it was four straight wins. So, yeah, theoretically it is somewhat similar. I I do think that everything looks a little bit different this season. I mean, especially with Jordan Cairo kind of taking on a bigger role, Robert Thomas taking on an even bigger role as well. Mm -hmm. So... It's just it's hard to really say because it's just two games thus far against nothing against and we've said this nothing against Seattle and the Blue Jackets, but it's not against, I guess I would say, like the toughest competition. So this is why this road trip and the remaining parts of it is going to really, I think, show us what this Blues team has going on right now. Yeah, I actually don't think they they look like that team from last season because, yes, the turnovers were massive in those two games for you, but like it was consistent throughout the game 
in yeah. those first few last season where like turnovers were just nonstop and they were getting the saves from Jordan Bennington earlier. And that's what T-Bone, you mentioned yesterday of Bennington started like this last season and then kind of fell off because the turnovers continued. You see the Blues tighten things up on the turnovers in these first two games. Like the second period has been bad in both games where they're overpassing, they're not getting the puck out of their zone and they're allowing their opponents to get in. Go back and look at that Columbus Blue Jackets game. They shut down Columbus in the third period. They tightened up the turnovers. Same can be said of that Seattle Kraken game. They tightened up on those turnovers. Although Seattle had a lot of puck possession time, the Blues really just couldn't get their offense going as opposed to them turning the puck over and just not looking scattered. They have looked tighter in terms of the four defensemen that are out there on the ice with Krug and Falk and uh, Letty and Pareko, it's more so making sure that that second period theme doesn't continue. That's what I did say is different from this year than last season. Well, and you also didn't have Letty for the beginning of that season. Absolutely. As yeah, well. Jake Wallman was playing 18 minutes a night for you in your six in your six-man defenseman. Nico Mikola was a healthy scratch in the early portion of the season last year for this team. I was going to say, that's the biggest difference that I've seen in this team in the first two games, is that defensively, look, I still think they have some some flaws defensive-minded, but I've seen the defense has been more aggressive, in my opinion, early on this season. Uh, when you look at them in the offensive zone, I can't tell you how many times I've thought they've had four forwards out there on the ice. <laughs> Justin also, Falk scoring goals. Exactly. And then also, like you mentioned, kind of the depth. Like I, I don't think Preko and Luddy have been like, something that just stands out as being this awesome defensive pairing through just two games. And I think part of that is just because it's been two games. But I don't feel like a uncomfortability with them. Like, last year I was always waiting for something to go wrong with Pareko's Scandella. And this year, I don't feel that with Pareko and Letty. And also the bottom pairing, as you mentioned, I feel pretty comfortable with Bortuzzo and Nico Mikola. And then when I look at this team, I know that I didn't think the fourth line had a great game uh, against uh, Seattle when they yeah. played. But I thought they were really good against Columbus. I think Seattle was just because you're dealing with injuries. Guys are being moved around a little bit. And you I, were playing down slash in a tie also. Yeah. So you get, you need your top dogs out there rather than the, the fourth line. But I think when you get back to that fourth line that you had when you opened the season against uh, Columbus, then I think that you'd really notice the fourth line. So I think that, I know it's only one game of the two, but I would also say that the fourth line just looks different. Last year, never really felt like you had a fourth line. I know we've talked about that a lot. But I think those are the biggest differences that I've seen early on in the season. Well, the Blues, they had an optional skate yesterday in Seattle, and they traveled to Edmonton. They're in Edmonton. They got a skate later on this afternoon. So if anything comes from that skate, obviously we're keeping an eye on uh, Pavel Buchnevich. Logan Brown did skate yesterday at the optional, according to uh, the Blues. So we'll kind of find out what this roster looks like a little bit later on this afternoon before their game Saturday in Edmonton. Tanner Hendrickson, Brooke Grimsley, and Alex Ferrario coming up in 15 minutes. Do you gamble on these internal options that have the upside you're hoping for, or do you just go look for the sure thing? We're going to get into that coming up in our in 15 minutes, but coming up next, it's time for our, I think this is week seven, week seven, Pick'em Challenge, the BK and Ferrario punishment, or should I say the BK punishment update, <laughs> all of that and more coming your way next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for 
for our BK and Ferrario Pick'em Challenge. It's what we all look forward to every week to see what games BK picks so we can fade BK and watch BK lose another week. At least that's what I'm hopeful that can happen with this week. And Brooke Grimsley, who is in for BK, she is going to be making the picks for BK, which actually might benefit him. Uh, so this is how this one's going to work. Uh, we had BK give us his big board from the picks that he wants to the picks that he least wants. And Brooke's going to go through that one as Tanner and I also make our picks. Um, and because BK lost last week, BK has to add in the punishment this week. And BK texted us and said, I don't care. You guys pick. He's kind of and salty about it, wasn't Very he? salty. I wonder why, considering he loses every week. So we said rather than us choose... Let's let Brooke choose the other punishment that goes into play here. So for those of you that don't know, the two punishments that carry over, BK was going to be punished when he returns as dressing up as Pinocchio, standing on the side of Olive with the sign that says, I suck at making picks. The two punishments that carry over are pushing a football sled the length of the football field while Carrie Davis, co-host of the opening drive, yells at you. Read a page of Fifty Shades of Grey on air. I think that's punishment for our listeners more than it's punishment for us. And the third punishment, Brooke Grimsley, will be chest wax on the air. Oh. <laughs> no, I got no chest hair. I'm good. Yeah, but you're getting your leg waxed. That's going to be worse. And we, we, we waxed BK. Something's getting waxed. Something's getting <laughs> Something's get, That is so going to be our Facebook Live video post. Uh, we waxed BK's chest last year in a punishment and he still complains about it hurting to this day so uh i'm hopeful he loses once again all right so we did our random wheel generator to go through who picks first second and third bk will be picking first i will be picking second and brooke will be picking for bk third so well, you T-Bone, messed, you messed i'm that sorry up. i messed, How'd that, you up? mess that up bk's <laughs> picking first i'm brooke picking, will be picking second. for him Tanner is picking third. I messed that up. I'm sorry. Bot. Brooke is picking for BK first. Brooke, what is BK's first overall pick? All right. The first one, Giants plus three at Jaguars. Ooh, buddy. That was the one that Heist told us yesterday that he uh, thinks the Jaguars are going yep. to win that one straight out. Yep. So, so we know, B- start, we BK. know BK's not <laughs> listening on vacation, clearly. So we uh, so we got Owen one to start off for BK. Real quick, Brooke, if, would, if you were picking... Not picking for BK, if you were picking, would that have been your first pick? Uh, no, I'm going to go with Heiss, who's kind of an expert on this and probably would have taken that. Taking the, the Jaguars Jags. minus yeah. three? Yeah, I'm going I'm, to go with the expert I on think that I'm, one. I think I'm going <laughs> to side with you on that one. But BK is getting Giants plus three. Um, I have not even freaking really looked into this one. Oh, that you're going to lose this week. Out. You were just talking um, about BK, and now, and now you're like, wait a minute. I, I what think, do I do? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pick the Falcons plus six and a half. They've covered pretty much every single week this season. Um, the Bengals have a really good offense, but I believe Kyle Pitts is back for Atlanta. Marcus Mariota has at least found the uh, some type of game in his uh, quarterbacking skill. So uh, my second pick will be the Falcons plus six and a half. They are America's team. I had them last week in a parlay. They Anthony Stalter would be covered. proud. Uh, so I got back-to-back picks here. I know that they just acquired Christian McCaffrey, and it sounds oh. like he's going to be available in that game. It looks like he's going to be limited to just red zone carries. The Chiefs have the better roster. The 49ers defense is a little beat up. I'm going with the Chiefs on the road against the 49ers. I'm taking them with the minus two and a half. That's going to be my first pick. 
And then my second one, look, they are not a good football team. They truly are not a good football team. The story of my uh, demise every week that I say that on the air. But they're truly not a really great football team. Okay. But it's Syracuse's Super Bowl. I don't think Syracuse is at the level of Clemson just yet. I think number five Clemson, and I'm going to regret this because it's a big spread, but I am taking number five Clemson (laughs) minus 13 and a half home against Syracuse. Oh my God, T-Bone, what are you doing? I know. What are you doing? I know. I kind of regret it, but I don't trust trust, uh, Syracuse. Not at all. So my options right now, UCLA plus six at Oregon, Titans minus two and a half against the Colts, Oklahoma State plus six and a half versus Texas, Seahawks plus five and a half against the Chargers, and Vanderbilt plus 14 at Mizzou. Uh, I hate every one of these right now, and they all make me very nervous. I already took... Who did I took? I, I, I you took the I, giant or no? Excuse me, you took, took the Falcons, Falcons plus six and a half. So I took a home team and an underdog. Oh God, I don't want to do that again. Um, I don't. I don't believe the Titans. Or I'm sorry, I don't believe the Colts have gotten it figured out. I think that was a fluke this past week. Um, I think I'm gonna back Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill, and the Titans. Uh, Brooke, I hope your team doesn't let me down. So the Titans on the road in Indy minus two and a half. That's my uh, next play. As a Titans fan, I can tell you, you you're like going to be let down. They, uh, they tend to disappoint good, sometimes. Good, good. depend on them. Good, good, good. Awesome. <laughs> Especially Ryan Tannehill. So that's that's what I have to Thanks say Thanks for that, that. Brooke. <laughs> so now for BKs. I, I think anything with college football this weekend, you couldn't pay me enough to gamble on any of that. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's rough. So he has, as his next option, UCLA plus six at Oregon. I, I don't know how. I mean, those are two close teams. So, like, that's going to be a coin flip to they're, me. They're two close teams, but that was probably going to be my next pick. Oregon scored 50 points the, uh, last week. I get it, but UCLA is actually, like, legit. Really good. They're really good. Yeah. Like, I I could see them not covering that because it's on the road, but I, I think they're a really good football team. So, I actually really like that pick for BK. And BK's got one more pick here on the Yeah, so you go back to back here, Brooke. Snake. Back to back here. Okay. Uh... Another college one, or should I go NFL? Hmm. I'm going to go with his next one. Oklahoma State plus six and a half versus Texas. Ooh, he's going two college games. That's what I'm saying. I know. I don't, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure if he, he feels good. I mean, he, he put it on his board, so that's where he's going hey. with. How about them Cowboys? Wrong Cowboys. Oh. I don't trust Oklahoma <laughs> State. Wrong Cowboys. They're actually a really good football team, too. I actually don't yeah. mind BK's college football picks. Yeah, well, to be we all know how that's going to go in this one. All right, so I either got the Seahawks plus five and a half at the Chargers or Vandy plus 14 <laughs> at Mizzou. That <laughs> is just you. trash on trash. I'm essentially buying into the fact that I'm losing this week. Um, I'm going to go with what my gut is telling me. I think Vanderbilt covers that plus 14 at Mizzou. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz has not, I don't have the faith that they've got it figured out. Luther Burden's probable. Oh, God. You're not ready for the Sam I'm, Horn era? No, I don't even think the Sam Horn era is going to happen. I, uh, God, I hate this pick so much. This is like that chess game where your finger's still on the piece. Just let it go, man. Let that <sighs> yeah, piece be Yeah, Vanderbilt moved. plus 14. I, I, I say they're within 14 on Mizzou. I, I don't have that much faith in Mizzou. I mean, I don't have faith in Mizzou, but drink, dude, good team's got to cover, and Vandy stinks, so you should cover the minus 14. So I'm stuck with the Chargers hosting the Seahawks. Chargers are five-and-a-half-point favorites. 
I think I'm leaning Seahawks covering five and a half. I I trust Pete Carroll to get that team ready to go, and Geno Smith should play decent enough to at least cover the five and a half point spread. I don't trust the Chargers, so I'm going to go Seahawks plus five and a half. Oof. All right, T-Bone, so read off everyone's picks for this week. All right, well, we'll start with BK. So BK has gone with his first pick was the Giants to cover three points as they are at the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's got UCLA plus six at number 10 to Oregon, and he's got Oklahoma State plus six and a half as they are hosting number 20 Texas. For Alex, who is like on, had been on the brink for a loss the last like three weeks, deserves a loss, he's going to go with the Falcons plus six and a half at the Cincinnati Bengals. He's going to go with the Titans minus two and a half as they are hosting the Indianapolis Colts. And he's taking Vandy because he's not a Mizzou fan plus 14 when they take on the Tigers this weekend. Hey, I'll be a Mizzou fan if uh, Vandy covers. <laughs> and then uh, I am going to go with the Chiefs minus two and a half at the San Francisco 49ers. I've got Clemson minus 13 and a half hosting Syracuse. And then I've also got the Seahawks plus five and a half as they are at the LA Chargers. How's everyone feeling? I mean, Brooke should feel, feel really fine. good. She's not getting punished. Is, 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 yeah, Brooke's I'm putting a, a punishment <laughs> out there, and she's just going to watch this all happen. I feel fantastic. T-Bone? Uh, I don't feel as confident as I did last week. Last yeah, week, I, I said say. on air, I said uh, I said last week on air, I was feeling like a 7 out of 10, and I parlayed all my picks together and won because all I went 3-0. and So I can sit here and tell you I'm not feeling as confident this week. I got like a 3 out of 10 in confidence right now. This sucks, so hopefully I'll feel a little hey, bit better as the weekend gets here. It's like you don't have to outrun the bear. You just got to outrun somebody Amen. else. It's Amen. like that's it's what it's like going against BK. I just got to make sure I don't go 0-3. I don't go 0-3. I've got a shot. Uh, by the way, update from practice in Edmonton. Uh, they hit the ice and according to Jeremy Rutherford, Pavel Buchnevich is skating and he's doing the line rushes so your lines were pretty much what they were against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Buchnevich with Thomas and Tarasenko, Shen with Barbashev and Neighbors and Brown is skating. Uh, Levo, Brown and Pitlick are all skating together as a fifth line. Coming up in 15 minutes we've got the junk drawer but coming up next we're going to play a game for Cardinals offseason called Gamble or just go for the sure thing. All of that coming your way next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So we're going to play a little off-season Cardinals baseball game. T-Bone came up with this last night, and I love the idea. And it's going to be looking at the options that they have internally. Do you want to gamble on what the Cardinals have this upcoming season? Or would you rather go into the off-season and say, we need to get the sure thing? And there's some rules to this. There's no cheat mode in this game that we're playing where you say, oh yeah, I just spend it all on the sure thing. No, come on. Well, I guess they're all staying. You gotta <laughs> you gotta play into the Cardinals budget mindset here. And I think that we kind of decided a couple of weeks ago, T-Bone, that they've got around like 40 mil, 30 mil to spend, but that's with the arbitration players in bringing back Adam Wainwright, correct? Yeah, so basically you probably can do like one or two of these scenarios at best if you decide to move on and gamble elsewhere. Yeah, so so you're looking at, so we've got four options and you could probably at best, and you need a little reasoning behind it, you can go out there and get two sure things 
and you're going to have to stick with gambling on the other two. So let's start with this. Uh, you know what uh, this reminds me, by the way? What? If we're going to be gambling on players, you got to get some Kenny Rogers in there. Right. You got to do no when the hold. Hold. No when the fold. Oh, dude, you're behind. Come on. No when to walk away. You're delayed. Remember, you're at Centene. No right, I don't care. Moment. I'm singing Kenny Rogers, man. Are you kidding me? I love me some Kenny before the Friday. You were just making sure that your voice could be fully heard yeah. next to Kenny. Yeah. I, honestly, sounds just as good as Kenny's. Oh, okay. Better. I couldn't tell a difference. <laughs> At all. All right, Brooke, you're going to be with us all next week here on PK and Ferrario. <laughs> By the way, uh, Kenny's got a better beard, so hopefully I can get to that level. Uh, let's start with Tyler O'Neill, the MVP that we saw last season, or caliber MVP last year. Do you want to gamble on Tyler O'Neill for the upcoming season, or do you want to look for certainty in the outfield? I would say, personally, I would say that you would go look for certainty certainty sorry in the outfield because Tyler O'Neill has been so kind of hit or miss here with injuries and literally I mean here's the thing is like he's so muscular in the way that you have to worry about the tears and you know all that different kind of stuff with him I mean he's almost too muscular to the point where it's like if you're his trainer do you like recommend like a Big Mac meal to, <laughs> More to actually cheat days? help him I mean something. I was told very differently about exercising and going to the gym when I was younger I thought that when you were big you never get injured but here's the other part of it I think if I just switch my brain over to the Cardinals mind oh, I think that they place, will ga- I know I think they will gamble on O'Neal returning healthy next but year. But you think that you should if so if you were John Mosaylock you would say I'm going outside and I'm finding the sure thing. Yes. Okay. T-Bone? I I personally and the Cardinals I think are going to look for more certainty in the outfield. I, I think they learned the lesson on the gamble of Tyler O'Neill this past season dealing with the injuries and when he was healthy the inconsistencies. I think that the, if he had played even five percent better than what he was this past year the Cardinals would gamble once again on his MVP caliber form getting back to that but I don't think he can I the way that he deals with injuries you look at that baseball reference page and it just is too random like it's it's just too random there's too much inconsistency I think they will look for more certainty that's why I've always been a on the Brandon Nimmo bandwagon. I think he's a guy that they can plug into the outfield. He fits into the budget pretty well. Bring him in. He can play everyday center field for you. You can put Carlson back in right, and then you can have Newpar or Yepes playing left field for you. So as much as Tyler O'Neill was fun to watch two years ago, I don't think they're gambling on his upside. I think they look to move him in a package, or they just make sure he's not an everyday starter for them. I, I think they're going to gamble on Tyler O'Neill, and here's why. I, I think... There are other areas that they can explore to upgrade. And when they look at Tyler O'Neill, they say, all right, this is what his first, this is his second year of arbitration. It's probably not going to cost us a whole lot because he was injured a majority. And let's see if we can get that big year out of him. But here's the other thing I think they're looking at. They've got a lot of, they got a lot of options out there. They've got Dylan Carlson that's going to be an everyday player. Lars Newpart's going to fight for that opportunity. You've got Tyler O'Neill, And I think they're going to view Brendan Donovan as maybe a more consistent outfielder for the upcoming season. And you've got Juan Yepes, who they don't view as an outfielder. I think they're going to gamble on Tyler O'Neill, and the hope that Jordan Walker is going to be up with this team. And I think they're going to go for that sure thing elsewhere. Second scenario. Do you gamble on Jack Flaherty being the ace, which could also allow you to bring back Adam Wainwright, or do you let Wayno walk 
and you go out there and you get your ace, whether it be signing or making a big trade. You gamble on Jack Flaherty. I think that that's exactly what they're probably going to do there because here's the thing. I just don't see them letting Wayno walk. And I think that Wayno, it didn't seem like the injury. I know that he mentioned it, that it was more of just kind of something with his knee. It doesn't sound like it's an arm injury, so that's great hearing and you think like, okay, yeah. it's not your arm. So yeah, you'll be healthy next year. And I think that next year could be Wayno's final season. So I don't think that you would let him walk. And I don't think Wayno would want to be a part of any other organization for his final season. T-Bone? I think I agree with Brooke. I, I think you gamble on Jack Flaherty having a healthy year. And I know he hasn't really had that since 2019. But at this point, I would like to gamble that nothing else breaks on his body and he can get back to being the ace that I think he is. When he's healthy, you heard Mike Farron say it earlier when we had him on. He wonders what the season would have been like for the Cardinals if Jack Flaherty's healthy. Same with me. I, I think it's worth bringing back Adam Wainwright. I know he struggled late in the season, but I think you bring him back. He chases 200 wins for you or for him himself in a Cardinals uniform. He be's a, becomes a solid number four or five for you, and then that allows you to focus the money elsewhere, focusing on that big impact bat that we're looking for, not having to worry about getting another ace. I think you gamble on Jack Flaherty becoming that, returning back to being that ace, and maybe this also ties into Montgomery. The Cardinals seem to be really high on Montgomery. Can Montgomery be that solid number two with Jack Flaherty? Also, Miles Michaels, can he be the same guy? So I think they will gamble here. I think they will say, we're going to stick with Jack Flaherty, and we'll worry about the outfield or catcher or shortstop we don't we can spend our money there no need to focus on getting an ace yeah i think they're going to gamble on flaherty they're not going to go after an ace i think the cardinals have this mentality with their pitching staff that we don't need one stud although we'd like to have one if that's jack flaherty we need a ton of dudes who can compete in the rotation and i think that's what they're going to go into this season uh with next one gamble on nolan gorman at second base to keep edmund at shortstop or you got brendan donovan who's the utility guy or do you go out there and sign a top free agent shortstop so you can move Tommy Edmond back to second base? I want them to go <laughs> and get somebody. I want them to. But once again, it, you have to switch your brain into, into the Cardinals way, right? We always hear the Cardinals way. You have to almost switch your brain into that. I could see them gambling on Gorman again this yeah. year because it was such... I mean, he had his moments, right? He had his moments where he was decent. I think if he is able to improve this offseason and is able to face fastballs better, I think that would be a great improvement. If they, I think I see them gambling on him improving next season, but I don't want them to. I want them to go, <laughs> go and get somebody else because I like Tommy Edmond at second. I really do. I think they gamble on Gorman as well. Just because I'm not sure they want to swim in the free agent shortstop market. Now, they may look at the smaller guys like Iglesias, but that's not who we're talking about. We're talking about those big guys, Bogarts, uh, Toronto Blank, Correa, Turner, guys like that. I don't think they're willing to do that. I think they would rather stick with Edmund at shortstop, who played really well there. And I think he probably exceeded their expectations when they moved him over there, just how good defensively he was. And then you can stick with the upside of Nolan Gorman. I I mean, you look at Nolan Gorman, and I get it. In the major leagues, he, he was fine. I think he reached expectations in terms of what I had for him. But he had a 30-home run season between there and AAA. And I get it that AAA is not major league pitching, but it's pretty close to it. I think he ends up having a pretty good year. I think he ends up hitting like 240 next year, hits, hits around that 30-home run mark. I think the Cardinals will gamble on that upside rather than having to pay someone like Trey Turner or Carlos Correa $30-plus million to be here. I think they're going to go sign the guy. And it, does, it doesn't even have to be the shortstop. It might be the shortstop for this year. 
and then it might be the second baseman for another year, and then it might be the DH for another year. I just what Mike Farron said earlier with us is where I come out on this. Like you've done this, you've done this carousel too many times, where you've circled around and said, "Ah, oh, well, we think Paul DeYoung can get back there," and now we got Tommy Eben. No, Tommy Eben might win his second Gold Glove at second base. Shift the guy back to his normal position. Go get yourself the bat that you need. I'm thinking the Xander Bogarts. I don't think Trey Turner's a reality. I don't think Carlos Correa is a reality. I think maybe Xander Bogarts falls into this category where you say shortstop, and then maybe we move him over to a DH spot in a couple of years. But go get the certain thing because you're filling two areas, infield defense, and you're filling that third bat. Last one. We got to go quick here. We got the junk drawer. Gamble on the young DH options or go find a sure bat in free agency. So you're gambling on Alec Burleson, Juan Yapez, Brendan Donovan, Nolan Gorman, or go out there and get the sure thing. I think that they're going to gamble on the young DH. Yeah, they're not going to go out there and get something. I don't think so. T-Bone? That's where I am, too. I, I don't think anybody really fits what you're looking for. There's no, like, yeah. Albert Pujols on the market to go sign. So gamble on the young guys. I think the young guys would have prevented pools from being here if they were hitting in spring training last year. I think now that they're going to be kind of told that they're on this team, I think you see some big years from Juan Yepes, Nolan Gorman, Brendan Donovan. Barosa maybe takes a step forward. I think they gamble on the young DH option. I do too. I think Juan Yepes is going to be that permanent DH for them and then other guys kind of fall into play there because I think they love the upside of Juan Yepes's bat for this team. We'll take a break. When we come back, we've got the junk drawer here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. Junk drawer here on BK and Ferrario, and alongside Brooke Grimsley and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario, and I'm going to try to approach this junk drawer story today as delicately as possible. Um, so there is a a in-game host for the New York Islanders, Shannon Hogan. She's been with the team for a decent amount of time. Uh, she does some stuff on TNT, also phenomenal job. I've met her a couple times. Really awesome individual. She was trending the other day. <laughs> the pause between Yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> she was trending the other day on Twitter uh, because of the choice of jewelry that she wore on a broadcast. Oh, I've been looking for some more bling. Yeah, well, I got the perfect bling bling for you. It's a little bit of a ding ding if you uh, prefer it that way. <laughs> oh so if you go onto Twitter and you, and you just search Shannon Hogan and look at the pictures, it, it essentially is a necklace that... For lack of a better term, it looks like a male body part. A male body. Look, I, I mean, it looks like a penis from the from the top down. That's the only way that I can put it. And I mean, this went on Twitter, and I mean, I'm telling you, people lost their mind, and they were tweeting her. They were tweeting pictures of it, and she finally recognized it by the end of the game. And had to apologize. And the only reason she had to apologize is because Lou Lamarillo runs the New York Islanders. And Lou Lamarillo is not, like, he's the one that makes people shave their beards when you get traded to the team. He's not having this on social media. I, I 
Brooke, I'm going to ask you this because you're on television a lot. How do you put that necklace on and not know what that looks like? I have no idea. And even more, I was looking through her tweets. She said that this was a gift from her mother. Okay, that was a troll from job by her, her mom. mother. I, I don't... I mean, the thing is, is like you told me about this. I was like, okay, maybe it's not that bad. And then I saw oh, the no. picture and I was like, oh, it's worse than I was expecting. Um, I don't know what it could even represent, honestly, because I was trying to say, I was looking at it. I was like, okay, is my mind just like so fixated on the fact of that's what it looks like that I can't see what else this could be? But I don't even know what else it could represent. There's you, nothing. There's absolutely no way that you put that on and didn't think, oh, Maybe this is not the right right thing to wear. I get that it was a gift from your mother, but you know, Doesn't you don't matter. There's been times my mother has given me like a sweater or, you know, jewelry or something like that I didn't like. I'd be like, yeah, I'll wear it, but I'll never wear it on TV <laughs> if I didn't like it that much. And and in journalism school they teach us just keep things simple. Yeah. Don't wear too trendy of jewelry even or, you know, anything too crazy clothing wise. Because, because you don't it's want people to Yeah, you don't want people yeah. to look at that. And that is the most distracting thing I've ever seen necklace-wise on someone. The only thing I can think of with it, too, is, you know, because I've I've bought my wife jewelry before, and it's like a bunch of different shapes, and it's just kind of how it lies. So, like, if you look at it, it looks like it's a couple of circles in a, in a, in a rectangle, and maybe that's how it's supposed to be. But the way that it is, and frankly, it's not just on her. It's on people she works with. How does the camera person <laughs> running that with her and says, uh, hey, Shannon, you need to adjust that jewelry a little bit here. Or just, like, hide it. You I, have to hide I I have yeah. no idea. You can't wear it. You I, can't wear it. I need, an, like, an actual explanation for her because I was looking through her tweets, and that's what I was looking for. She doesn't explain it. She didn't explain what she thought it was, anything like that. <laughs> she, she just, just said, said it never was wearing a, it. Yeah, she said she's never wearing it again. Glad everybody got a few giggles out of it. Ma'am. Someone, what, why did you wear that in the first someone place? Someone said it's a cross. You guys are perverts. That is not a cross. That is not a cross. There is no way that is a cross. A cross for what? No, I'm sorry, but uh, but yeah. So and, and, uh, and you know not to not to rub this in even more. But the best <laughs> part of it was people were photoshopping it and putting it on things. And you know the reverse retros came out yesterday. Someone took the New York Islanders <laughs> jersey and they used that logo as the reverse retro look. And it's not even like it's like a tiny oh, thing. Like man. it's it's a giant. So T-Bone, when you I'm go, uh, T-Bone, when you no, go, I'd wear stop. I'd wear that loud and proud. I was gonna say, so T-Bone, when you go out, wear that loud and proud. when you go out bling bling shopping, uh, I'll look for something like that. Maybe avoid hey, different shapes. When I'm looking for my bling, I'm looking for something to stand out. So you, you're peacocking it a little bit. Yeah, huh? when when T-Bone is trending. <laughs> With T-Bone is trending. T-Bone necklace. That's the only thing T-Bone's looking for, just a way to trend on Twitter. Well, we found that way for you to trend on Twitter. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've got our NFL quick hitters. But coming up next, what's going to be more important for the Blues this season? The power play or the penalty kill? We'll get to that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Into the circle of Butchnevich, he scores! Pablo Butchnevich, a one-timer slapper from the near circle for the first of the year for St. Louis. One-nothing Blues on a power play goal. 
Alongside Brooke Grimsley and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario. We are here at Centene Community Ice Center inside our E&B Granite Studios. And the Blues back in action tomorrow afternoon against the Edmonton Oilers. So far, 2-0 and on the season. And both we've seen both special teams a good amount of time. Now, last year, the Blues finished top five in both the penalty kill and the power play. And that was, in my opinion, one of the big reasons why this team was so successful in the regular season and in the postseason, because their special teams play was so dominant. This year, the power play goes one for six with seven shots on goal. That one power play goal, as you heard, Pavel Buchnevich scoring in the first game of the season. And the penalty kill has gone three for three and not allowed a shot on goal. So when you look at both elements on this roster, Brooke, and I, if I were to ask you, which one of those two do you feel like is more important for the Blues this season? Which way would you lean? Well, I would like to say the power play. And look, Jordan Cairo almost scored a power play yeah. goal. I mean, it time just expired right Two after seconds. that. So, I mean, I think the power play is going to be important for the Blues, but I don't think it's terrible that right now your penalty kill is fantastic again. I mean, that's been something that they really take pride in is really good penalty kill. That's what Barubi always touches on and really hammers home that he likes to see. I think that it's just kind of an adjustment right now for the power play for the Blues because you don't have David Perron. And, I mean, Barubi's even said that is That's going to take a little bit of an adjustment as well. And I'm interested to see how Jordan Cairo continues to get more comfortable in Perron's old spot as well. I, I would say I would lean towards the penalty kill just because, as I mentioned earlier, I think we were talking in the 12 o'clock hour about what you're looking for in this team the next four games. I'm not sure the defense, I think the defense is better than it was last year, but I still think they're going to give up a handful of turnovers each game. They're going to allow a lot of shots and allow a handful of high danger scoring opportunities. So I think that they can, I think if you're going to limit scoring, I think you can't be getting beat on the power play. I think their best defense will be the penalty kill to where they're shutting down teams, not allowing those extra goals to go in because I think they're a team that will probably give up around three goals, two to three goals every game with their defense. Like, I don't see a lot of shutouts from this team. I don't see a lot of one-goal games from this team. I think they're going to have to win because their offense, and because I don't trust the defense fully at five-on-five, five, they have to be really good on the penalty kill, which they've been so far this year. I, As much as I'd like to see the power play and it, it be a big factor for them, I think they're good enough five-on-five five offensively to where they can score goals to where if the power play took just a step back, I'm not saying it drops to like dead last in the league because that would be a problem. But if yeah. it's not top five and it's just barely sitting on the inside of the top ten, I think they would ultimately be fine. If the penalty kills out in just inside the top ten and not one of the best in the league, I think you may see a trickle-down effect and a problem for the Blues. Yeah, I think both are important, and and it's obvious that both need to be. Jamie always says that Jimmy Roberts used to say, like, both of your special teams need to be top five uh, in the National Hockey League. And look, for me, I think the power play is more important. The penalty kill you got to be good at, but if you drop out of the top ten, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. You don't want to be a team that every power play a team gets, you're going to give up power play goals. You got to be somewhat adequate at it. But if your power play struggles, it's rare you see a team do that. what the Blues did in 2019 on that cup run where like people were saying negate the power play because they couldn't score, but yet they still won because they were so dominant at five-on-five. Five. It's rare you see that, and especially in today's game where you have a lot of teams that capitalize on their power play opportunities. I mean, Edmonton, Colorado, it feels like every time you give them a power play, the goal's in the back of the net. The way a team plays against you, I think, changes when your power play is good 
compared to it being bad. If your power play is bad, teams are going to go out there and play a lot less structured because they're not afraid to throw the body around. They're not afraid to do the stick infractions because they know you're going to struggle on the power play. Now, you're not going to just get just crazy out there and start taking penalties like crazy because sooner or later, a team is going to make you pay and you're going to wear out your players. But if a team is so dominant on the power play, I think it changes the way players play against your team. So, like, let's just say Jordan Kyrie's got the puck on his stick in the offensive zone. A defenseman is going to play him less aggressive because they don't want to give up a power play to a team that is so dominant in a tight hockey game in the third period. Whereas, if your team's 0 for 6 on the power play already, they're going to just go out there and say, yeah, we'll get the puck back and we'll kill it off and then we'll get right back to it. So, I I think the power play, the teams that are always dangerous every year going into the postseason are teams that have power plays that strike fear into their opponents. You notice that we keep circling back to Jordan Cairo with a lot of these conversations and uh, how much it's going to hinge on his performance this season. I mean, we already knew that it was going to be a high pressure season for him anyways. He had career numbers last year. I mean, a breakout season and you want to see that follow up, especially with that big contract happening going into this season. I, it just seems like a lot of this is going to hinge on the success of Jordan Cairo. I mean, a lot of it does, especially on the power play, because Cairo has taken David Perron's spot. Jeremy Rutherford. It's a big shoes to fill. Jeremy Rutherford has mentioned it a couple of times on our station this past week of, you know, in that Seattle Kraken game, Cairo was on that David Perron spot on the power play, and he opted to pass rather than shoot. And that power play is just so, it's so recognizable because you know where the puck's going and you can take that shot. Now, obviously that changes when you don't have Perron and you don't want to get predictable on the ice. But if Jordan Cairo has the ability to be a threat with the one-time shot, it makes the power play such, such, or much more dangerous on the ice than what it is if you're just going to opt to pass it. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I mean, with Jordan Cairo, I, I don't think anybody's expecting him to be like David Perron in that situation. If you but are, it's just it's unfair to him exactly. because he's not. And, but at least bringing his own brand, which we know for Jordan Kyrie, right? I mean, we know that he can be a lethal goal scorer. Now can he take that next level on the power yeah. play unit? So the penalty kill has impressed me early on. I mean, three for three and not allowing a shot is pretty good, especially against how good Seattle's team uh, is on the power play. But what's been the biggest surprise for you guys at least two games through the season? And I understand it's two games, so save the angry text messages. Yeah, exactly. It's just been two games. I I don't know if it's necessarily a surprise. I would say like a good surprise. I, I didn't I mean with Jordan Bennington, I'm surprised and happy to see that he's continuing to pick up where he left off. Yeah. I think that that's obviously a good surprise. You wanted him to, but I think it's also encouraging as well to see him I mean, performing the way he did that Seattle game. And I know it's just the Kraken. So before we get any angry text messages about that, (laughs) I totally realize that. But the way that he was really able to carry the team on his back was very much when we've seen Jordan Bennington at his best is where the team, even when they mess up, even when they're not at their, you know, cleanest, he's able to carry the team on his back. And that was encouraging for me to see. So I say that that's the good surprise for me, at least. I would say I've got two. And one of them, I mentioned it earlier when we were talking about the defense, but one is that the defense has been so involved offensively, getting up in the rush. Falk's playing like a fourth forward. He's got two goals on the season. And the defensemen have, I can't remember what the point total is, but they've got seven points in two games. Seven points in two games. Thank you. So 
the defense has really surprised me how much they're willing to get into the offensive rush, and I really like that style. I like them being aggressive and playing that way. And I think the other surprise for me is just this team seems more physical, and it's only two games, yes. so it is a small sample size, but they do seem more physical. I mean, Barbie's throwing the body around. Achari leads the team in hits, I think, at nine. And then through the first two games, they've laid a total of 43 hits. So they, they are playing a more physical brand of hockey, which, to be honest with you, I wasn't fully anticipating going into this season. So laying 43 hits in the first two games has been kind of a pleasant surprise for me to see, especially seeing someone like Jake Neighbors willing to throw his body around as well. Yeah, 43 hits is actually bottom of the league, which is crazy to say, but I'm I'm with you. And it's bottom of the league because they've only played two games. If you go hits per 60, that would be top half of the league for St. Louis as it sits right now. Last season, they were 28th in hits overall. And I don't think this team is going to be the throw the body around for the entirety of the game because they have a lot more to focus on. But if you look at it, they've got two players that weren't on this team for the full season last year that are first and third in hits. Nolachari and Alexi Torpchenko. Those two have 14 hits combined through two games. They add an element you didn't have last season. And then on top of it, Justin Falk and Colton Pareko are two and four. And then Jake Neighbors rounds out the top five in terms of hits through the first two games. For the people that say Colton Pareko is not aggressive, well, he's finishing the checks at least so far in the early portion of the season. But I like the fact that this element is still there. And I don't think people give the Blues enough credit because they think they're away from that style. They still have guys who will finish the check. And I think that's an important element in the game because if you're not going to be a physical opponent, the teams don't anticipate the checks. They don't anticipate the hits. And when you're going back for the board, that's how you create turnover. So if Barbashev's throwing the body around, if you've got Torpchenko and Achari throwing the body around, I think it's important if you've got that physical element from your forwards and it adds more to a team that didn't have that last season. Well, and Barbie as you mentioned, already has that, but also too, you're, you could tell that you're missing that with the absence of Oscar Sundquist because Sonny was that guy. And he was obviously a huge part of the blues winning the Stanley cup. And you could tell that the blues really missed his physical presence that he brought to the ice. Yeah, they did. And I mean, think about it last season, like you had guys who would hit, but it was sporadic hitting like Dakota Joshua. I mean, how many times would you hear Barubi say that? Yeah, that he wasn't seeing enough. of it, it. it was unpredictable because some guys would just throw the body, but then they would uh, they would abandon the defensive style that they need them to do. You've got strategic hitting from certain guys like Nolachari is one of the better defensive forwards in the National Hockey League. I mean, he won, he was in the Selkie Trophy conversation. So I think that's an element that T-Bone spot on with that is a surprise because I'm not sure if a lot of people expected this Blues team to be physical uh, for this upcoming season. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've got one's got to go. So you send us four options. We'll tell you which one has to go. But coming up next, we get set for the week ahead in the NFL with some quick hitters here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Another week of 
of NFL action alongside Brooke Grimsley and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario as we hit our NFL quick hitters now here on 101 ESPN. We've got one's got to go coming up in our next segment. So send us your four scenarios at 65780 on our Air Comfort Service text line. But let's start with the news that took place last night. And Tanner is probably very disappointed. The NFC West just got a lot tougher Courtesy of the San Francisco 49ers last night, they made the trade to acquire Christian McCaffrey from the Carolina Panthers. So he is now a 49er. The Panthers got a second-round pick in 2023, a third-round pick in 2023, a fourth-round pick in 23, and then a fifth-round pick in 2024. Before we get to our thoughts on the trade, here's Damian Woody talking about McCaffrey going to San Francisco. Boy, did they push their chips all in, right? It just it just feels that way with Kyle Shanahan and company that they really pushed their chips all in to go go out and get a piece in Christian McCaffrey. Man, you're talking about a, a chess piece. Obviously, great runner, great receiver out of the backfield. You combine him, you know, with George Kittle and Debo Samuel, you got a lot of interchangeable parts in that offense. And, and, and obviously, we know that he's a great designer of the running game. So this 49ers offense could be, I mean, it could be deadly. I, I love the trade. And to me, San Francisco is the top dog in the NFC now. Sorry, T-Bone, about your Rams. But now you don't have to use Debo Samuel as a running back. Now Debo Samuel can be that weapon for you permanently as a wide receiver. I I think this was just an incredible move by San Francisco that knows they've got a team that can win now. Well, 100%. I mean, that's that's exactly what they're saying there is we know we have the talent. This was the missing piece with Elijah Mitchell out. Their running game needed this. And Christian McCaffrey, when he's healthy, we all know what he can do. Right. And you have a pretty solid offensive line with the 49ers as well. So this is that final little piece and props to them. For doing this. I mean, (laughs) I mean, really a gutsy move. It shows that they're all in and they think that they have the potential to win a Super Bowl. And in general, it does push them ahead in the NFC West as well. That's the depth that you needed. And Christian McCaffrey can really fit in well. And also, too, just another really interesting tidbit that I stumbled upon. McCaffrey's father was a wide receiver in Mike Shanahan's Super Bowl winning offense for the Broncos. Yep. It's incredible. T-Bone? How's it? How's it feel? Not great. <laughs> I, I think they're definitely the best team in the NFC West now. I, I think the Rams can still compete with them, but I would take San Francisco over them because when they get healthy, I know their left tackle Trent Williams is out right now, but he should be back soon. Defensively, they're dealing with a couple injuries, but if they get healthy, they are the most dangerous team in the NFC West, and that's even with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. The Rams, they're. I think they're missing they're missing a running game, and, and that's going to be the thing that sets them back. It sounds like they were involved in these sweepstakes. I'll be honest. I think they were just trying to upbid the uh, get San Francisco to bid more in this process. I don't think the Rams were truly ever that involved with the Carolina well, they Panthers. Be. They don't have draft picks until 2027. Exactly. So I, I think San Francisco is the best team in the NFC West. In terms of the NFC, if everything kind of goes the right way for them, I think they might have moved themselves into the second best team in the NFC. I'm with I, you. I don't think they surpassed Philly. I think Philadelphia is no. the better team, but I think they surpassed Tampa Bay, who's going to be up there when the year is all said and done. As we you mentioned, hope. they they surpassed the NFC West. I don't think the Vikings are legitimately a top two team in the NFL, and I don't think Green Bay Green Bay is like a verge playoff team. So I think they are the second best team in the NFC now. Yeah, I'm with you. Philadelphia is still the best team in the NFC, but this. This, to me, puts their offense a little bit above Philadelphia, but as a team, 
as a whole, I think Philadelphia is the better squad because of their defense and how they uh, perform. Uh, another one, last night we saw the Cardinals top the New Orleans Saints because Andy Dalton, the Red Rocket, doesn't know how to uh, not throw interceptions. But a lot of that game was having DeAndre Hopkins back on the field who missed the first chunk of the season uh, because of abusing the, uh, what was it, it was the essentially steroids, right? Isn't that what DeAndre Hopkins got caught with at the beginning of the season? Yeah, PEDs. So he comes back. Kyler Murray looks a little bit more decent. The offense looks a little bit more decent. Defense actually played much better, too, against New Orleans. Does DeAndre Hopkins save this Cardinals team season, Brooke? Uh, When it comes to the season, I mean, possibly. I mean, in general, Hopkins 100% made them better. I mean, what was that? Over... 100 yards yeah. from last you night. You got your boy 15 fantasy points <laughs> as a flex. So, so you so you were pretty excited about oh, that as yeah. well. Oh, I, yeah. I think he's a huge difference maker. I mean, I feel like the numbers speak for itself that it could definitely change their season. And I think that Murray obviously likes working with him. Yeah. So I think that's a huge difference for him. See, I don't think it saves their season because I still don't view them as a playoff team even with DeAndre Hopkins but I think it saves Is that because of Kingsbury I, that's what I was gonna I, th- <laughs> I think it saves Cliff Kingsbury's job for at least one more season yeah oh, I, if they miss the playoffs Cliff is gonna be packing and going back to the college game I'm or with something. you but can't you use the excuse of well we didn't have him for six games and if we would have had him we'd probably be a better team no because I don't think they'll use an excuse and they'll just go Cliff stinks like I mean I, very true I and honestly Kyler I, Kyler's not a great quarterback either, so they're just a mess. I, I don't think DeAndre Hopkins saves the season. It'll make them better. I don't. I, they're not a playoff team. They're they're just not. The defense was bad again last night. They're not going to consistently put up forty some odd points. That was the first time they've done that. In like I think it was ninety games or something crazy like that. So. No, I, I think Cliff will be ultimately end up be fired at the end of the year. And Kyler last night looked like a little kid at the store that just wanted to get home so he could play the new Call of Duty game. Oh, yeah. So he, was that, he wasn't is that impressive. A height joke? Is that a height joke? Was no, like no, Kyler it was Murray. no, it was a he does, he does likes a to play jokes. Call of Duty as we know his record when Call of Duty is like I think double XP week and he's only won like twice. Uh, the new game came out I think it was yesterday and he just kept whining and pouting the whole time yeah, yesterday told on the field. Cliff Kingsbury to calm down. Yeah, I know. It's it, always good to yell at your head coach. It's a mess. It, that's an yeah. absolute mess. I know they downplayed that after the game, but they are they are not a playoff team. Their season um, is not saved. Speaking of quarterbacks, which returning QB this week is going to have a, the bigger impact? You've got Dak Prescott, you've got Tua, and you've got Daniel Jones. I'm going to go all in on Dak is back. You don't believe in Cooper Rush, do you, Brooke? Uh, you don't believe in the 5-1 uh, and one Cooper Rush. Four and one Cooper. He did, Rush. he did his job. He did his job as an adequate starter. Unbelievable. Sorry, I said Daniel Jones. Mac Jones is who I meant. I am going to say I, I think it is. I think it's Prescott too. I, I think Dak, if he is right at coming off of this injury, I think he propels Dallas into fighting with San Francisco for that top two uh, spot in the NFC because. Ooh. I don't think they can top the Eagles. I think the Eagles are the better team. They can't. But, I mean, that offense looked pretty good with Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush was adequate. The Cowboys' defense is elite. And if Dak Prescott can just kind of propel that offense just another step forward, which Cooper Rush couldn't, then I think that the Cowboys can be right up there with San Francisco going back and forth for being that top second top team in the NFC. I, I get it. 
I don't think Dak makes much of a difference for Dallas. I think he's better than Cooper Rush, obviously, but I think their team is solely based on how good their defense plays because I think Mike McCarthy just stinks as a head coach. I think the bigger impact here is Tua. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater was awful for the Miami Dolphins last week. He had two touchdowns and two interceptions. He was sacked five times, which I know is not all on him, but Miami is a significantly better team when you have Tua under center. Now, it just depends on if you're getting the healthy Tua back or if there's still concerns. I can't imagine they'd be putting him out there unless they knew he was 100% ready to go, but I think Tua actually makes the more impact. Mac Jones coming back, I don't really care. I'd keep playing Billy Zappi if I'm Bill uh, Bill Belichick because the guy keeps finding ways to win. Which I understand he stinks too. The defense is winning that. I, I think Mac Jones is definitely the better quarterback still there. Plus, they burnt a first round pick on him, unlike Zappy, who I think was drafted in the seventh round. That's fine, man. You remember where Tom Brady was drafted? Sixth round. Thank you very much, T Bone. Uh, final one. Which game are you looking forward to most this weekend? Well, for me personally, because I'm a Titans fan. Yeah, you're looking forward Ti- to that Titans, Titans win. And Colts. Well, yeah. By three. I hope for your sake that they win, but also <laughs> too, for the Titans fan base as well. Because here's the thing the Colts, at the beginning of the season, everybody thought that they were going to run away with the AFC South. And for the Titans, I think this could at least be, I think it's something that they just need to do. They need to have this win against the Colts. I think. The, I was going to say, I think the game I'm looking forward to most is the game that's going to be the quote-unquote primetime one in the afternoons. Bears the late and Patriots? Game. No, the late game. Oh. The late game uh, window, and that is the Chiefs at the yeah. 49ers. I do think the Chiefs win that game because I think they're the better team right now until McCaffrey gets fully involved into that offense. But the fact of the matter that San Francisco is saying that, hey, he's not just going to be here for this week and not play. No, he's coming in and he's going to get red zone opportunities. Makes us get an idea of what San Francisco looks like. I think they end up losing the game still, but I think it's closer than we're expecting. And hopefully, again, the Chiefs cover minus two and a half. Amen to that. No. Oh, yeah, that's yours. I was going to say mine's the Titans. I need them to cover. You can uh, root for me, too. No, we can root for each other if we just root against BK. That's That's the way I think we can do this the rest of the way. I'm with you. I think that's going to be the most entertaining game, especially seeing how McCaffrey fits in if he uh, is in there a lot because, obviously, you got uh, him just being acquired by San Francisco. Somebody just texted us and said, uh, Alex, did you say you put Hopkins in as a flex? You started a Thursday night guy in the flex. That's a cardinal sin in fantasy football, my man. It is, man. (laughs) I get it. Dude had 15 points, and my lineup is stacked. Jamar Chase and CeeDee Lamb are my other two wide receivers. So oh. I went DeAndre Hopkins over any of my other options because they've all been awful. I've been waiting for this moment for DeAndre Hopkins to come back, and I got a combined 34 points last night because Kyler Murray's what? inadequate to do anything. What's your record in that league? Uh, I am 4-1, and one, no, 5-1. Oh, okay. and one? Then you're yeah. not. I saw a bunch of tweets last night with uh, memes of the guy that's 2-4, and, four and he, he's like, Opening up the box, and there's DeAndre Hopkins as his savior. So it's not you. No, my, my team actually – so I nobody cares fantasy football. This is like the, uh, the always conversation. My team is actually pretty stacked in that one, and I was surprised I got DeAndre Hopkins in the ninth round of that fantasy football draft. Tanner Hendrickson, Brooke Crimsley, I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll have our uh, rewind coming up in 15 minutes and your chance to win dead and company tickets. But coming up next, it's One's Gotta Go, a Friday staple. You send us four scenarios. We'll tell you which one has to go here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is PK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN.
that big bang. Favorite time of the week here on BK and Ferrario. It's our favorite segment. One's gotta go. You send us four scenarios. We'll tell you which one has to go. Blues back in action tomorrow night against the Edmonton Oilers. What time's puck drop, T-Bone? Three o'clock. What time's pregame? Two o'clock. And you can hear all that right here <laughs> on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. No, you don't. You love me. All right. It's Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Halloween candy edition. Candy corn, mini candy bars, Skittles, M&M's. I mean, this is easy. Oh, Everybody wants the so mini easy. candy bars, right? Oh, never mind. This isn't easy. Wait, what were you going to say? No, no, no. Give her your explanation, Brooke. Well, because mini candy bars are delicious. So 100%, I think that that's like the best. I always look like I want kids to have like the best Halloween candy when they come to our house. So I try to get the mini candy bars. Oh, you're smart. So, so you like that one though? Yes. Okay, you got to get rid of the one you don't like. The one I don't like? Yeah. Which one you tossing out? So many candy bar stays. Are you tossing Skittles, M&Ms, or candy corn? Candy corn. See, that's where I was going to say this is easy. This is simple. Candy corn. It's the worst of all of them. I'm with you guys. Candy disgusting. corn's nasty. No it's way. It's disgusting. By you, the way, Brooke, Brooke with Halloween is good to go because I uh, we don't give out the mini candy bars. We uh, we don't give out anything. We're those wow. people. You don't give out anything? No, we're those people. Why? <laughs> well, we gave out last year because we, we're just usually not home on Halloween. Yeah, we're usually okay. out with the yeah, girls sure. or we're out with our nieces in the past. So, like, this is only out? the second. This is only the second year we've been home on Halloween. Yeah, okay. Which we actually were not. My wife's I say, what do you mean we're else. usually out with the girls? Adelaide's one and a half. No, but we're usually out <laughs> with our nieces. So last season we were out with our girls. We took her out, which was a terrible decision. And then we're All usually right. out with our nieces. If you know the Ferrario show up, they got candy this year. No, we don't. I promise you, you're going to be disappointed with that so one. So you're, you're not going to be at your house. We're not going to be at our house. We're going to make sure the light is off. Supposedly. Come on over, T-Bone. I promise you. Uh, one's got to go. Cardinals sign edition. So they sign one of these players. You toss the one you don't want out. Jacob DeGrom, Trey Turner, Will, Wilson Contreras, or Carlos Correa? I'm going to toss out Correa. Don't like him? I just don't. I, I mean, out of those options, I think that I would like to see Turner. So I'm that's just, who I want. That's what I'm saying. Happen. If I'm just looking at it as who I'd want, I just see Correa is kind of last on that list. I think I would toss out Wilson Contreras. I don't think he's the answer at catcher for the Cardinals. And whether it be Correa or Turner, either guy would be great to have. DeGrom's the ace that you're looking for. I'm just not sold on Wilson Contreras being the catcher for the Cardinals just because I fear of his defense and his lackluster ability to help a pitching staff out, command a pitching staff. So he's one that's got to go for me. You see, I want him to come just for the fact of one, Jose Quintana has that great relationship with him. And I feel like Yvonne Herrera is what the Cardinals see as the future of the organization. And you kind of give him a little bit more time to develop as well. I'm not saying you don't sign anybody. I'm just saying I don't want Contreras. I, I, I actually, I mean, I've, I've said I want Contreras and I would take Turner or Correa. The one I'm getting rid of is Jacob DeGrom. I think you're going to have to pay a ton of money for him, and I don't want to have another starting pitcher on my staff that is going to be a lot of money that can't stay healthy for a full season. And I understand he's lights out when he's healthy, but I don't want to take that chance um, um, with him. So one's got to go amusement park edition. Six Flags, Disney World, Universal Studios, Worlds of Fun. T-Bone, let's start with you. You go to theme parks a lot. Well, that's just not true, but... (laughs) Uh, I I would I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think I would get rid of Disney World. What the hell? 
You gotta wait in lines. It's super expensive. You gotta wait in line at all of these places. Yeah, but I don't gotta like give up my arm to go to Disney World, so I'm out. I'm I don't need to see Mickey Mouse that bad. I'll see him on my TV. Oh, you're crazy. I love Disney World. I'm not BK level up Disney World, which I I'll argue he's probably out there, not in New York. Is he a Disney World oh, adult? He, he's a Disney adult. He and he and his uh, fiance go all Ferrario's the time. Ferrario's a Disney adult. They just won't admit it. I've been to Disney World twice in my life. Yeah, I, can't, I can't afford this. I can't afford to be it's a Disney ex- it World is adult. Very expensive. My wife and I wanted to go a couple of years ago, and it was like five grand for two of us to go. Oh, exactly God. why I'm out. Yeah, but my it's, point. It's but it's still you still have to go, and when you go, it's still enjoyable. It's just you got to save up significantly. Hey, anytime for money's leaving my wallet, I don't find it fun. I, so, I, I think the one that has to go here is Universal Studios. Like, if I'm going to pay to go to Disney World. I'm not going to go to Universal. I'm going to be going to Disney World and all of the parks there. What were the options again? So Disney World, Universal Studios, Six Flags, or Worlds of Fun. And I've never Six been to Worlds Flags. of Fun, too. Six Flags has to go. How do you get rid of Six Flags? I've bro? never been, so that's why. You've never <laughs> been to Six Flags? <laughs> no. she's, she, she's from Tennessee, so you give her a little I've slack never, here. I think, I've, is there a Six Flags in Tennessee? I I've think no, there is. There's Six Flags You see, everywhere. if you guys did a Tennessee version, it would be like Dolly World, oh, Dolly you know. World. <laughs> Different Dolly things World. like that. Oh, yeah, I've been to Six Flags in Memphis. Yeah, that's that's four hours away from where I'm from, so I'm I'm not doing that. Um, and I haven't been to the Six Flags here yet. I'm sure it's fun, it's but not that fun. <laughs> I don't know. I hate I hate waiting's waiting in lines just to be scared and terrified on a ride. Oh, you're you're not big into to rides? No. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. And a lot of people get killed on them too. Whoa, well, not a lot, but you know, took a turn. That's, that's enough. That's enough for me to be freaked out. Oh, so. that's fantastic! That's why I stick to it's a small world. If I go to Disney yeah. World, Tivo just sticks to the the, the teacups ride. Yeah, uh, that's cup, fun though. Cup don't no, no, vomit is not fun, and that's what ensues after you go on that ride. Uh, a couple more to get to. One's got to go. Fun size candy edition. This is uh, Brooks' cup of tea here. Snickers, Butterfingers, M and M's, or Reese's. Butterfingers. You don't like Butterfingers? I I do, but out of those options. All of the other ones are better. Yeah, yeah. See, I actually would get rid of the Reese's. I'm not that's, a big fan of Reese's. Yeah, I know. I'm not ridiculous. a big fan of Reese's. The only time I'll enjoy the Reese's if it's the the like you know the, like the the little M and M style Reese's. You know what I'm talking about? Where, where they like have the, the M and M's in them? No, where it's just like the mini Reese's bites. Like I don't like the peanut butter cups. There's a lot of peanut butter in one bite. What is wrong with you? A lot of peanut butter in one one bite. Uh, I think. I think I'm going to get rid of the Snickers. I, I'm i not all that big on, like, caramel candy, so get Snickers out of here. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, final one. This is a good one. One's got to go players the Blues got rid of edition. So <laughs> players that walked or did not re-sign or traded. Alex Petrangelo, TJ Oshie, David Perron, Ben Bishop. Oh, God. This is a good one. I'll start us off because I, I, I feel confident in my answer. Oh, okay. Even Here though there's no right Here or wrong answers except peanut butter cups is wrong. No, there's always wrong answers like Disney World. I'm uh, with you on that one, Tiva. I, I would say Bishop because if you don't have – if you have Ben Bishop, you probably don't have Jordan Bennington is the way that I would go about it. And Yeah, but you're getting rid of him. I know. I know. That's what I'm saying is if Bishop was to remain here – Bishop is probably still the starting goalie, and oh, I'm not see, sure you have. I'm not see, sure. I'm you looking have. at it the other way. I'm looking at it as bad decisions by the Blues of letting that player go. Oh well, 
I because see the way oh, I, that changes. That changes I was everything. Thinking, I was thinking the way because I was going to say the same thing so, that so, T-Bone was going So here's with this. where I, I come with that one. So Ben Bishop, I'm with you. That's why I would keep Ben Bishop in this category because I I think he was one of those decisions that you needed to move on from because you wanted Jordan Bennington. Not that you knew Jordan Bennington. You searched for a while to find a goaltender, but you wouldn't have a Stanley Cup without Ben Bishop. So I'd keep him in this category. Um, I'd keep Alex Petrangelo in this category, and I'd keep David Perron in this category. I think the one that I would get rid of in terms of they sh- never should have moved on from him was TJ Oshie. Like, you got Troy Brower in it. You were able to get past the Chicago Blackhawks, but TJ Oshie was such a massive piece to this team in terms of offense, and he's been a phenomenal player since with Washington. That's the one that I think I would say if I could turn back time, I would say let's find a way to keep TJ Oshie. Okay, if we're looking at it that way, I think I would agree with you because wasn't there also that stretch, too, where it was they just didn't have the center depth they ended up yeah. having to go make the move for Ryan O'Reilly, which ended up working out for him. And but, Shen, too. Yeah, so I guess if we're looking at it from that perspective, I would say then, yeah, I'd agree with you, TJ Oshie. Gotcha. You need the share if I could turn back time. If I could <laughs> turn back time. That's beautiful. I, I agree with you on Same that. I think that like I, my second one after that would be Alex Petrangelo. Yeah. Probably. I'd probably have Alex Petrangelo. I, I mean, the I whole think, the whole way that that went down, because I, I think that, you know, Alex Petrangelo, one, wanted to say he was such a huge part, obviously, of the Blues winning the Stanley Cup. And even defensively, we've seen at times where you're like, man, it would be nice to have Alex Petrangelo still here in yeah. certain situations. I actually think the second one, if I were to put on this list, it would be Ben Bishop, because despite you getting Bennington and, you know, you winning a Stanley Cup, you also had so many bad years of trying to find goaltending, find that number one guy, that I wonder if you would have won a Stanley Cup before Jordan Bennington if you had Ben Bishop on this team. Uh, maybe, and I think the one team I could point to is the team that got bounced in the first round by Chicago with uh, oh, see, I was Ryan thinking Miller. Of, I was thinking of the team that um, the team that lost to the Sharks in the Western Conference Final. Oh, I think okay. if you have I, Ben I Bishop, you win too. that series. I could see them, too. I, I forgot about that team, to be completely yeah. honest with you. So, All right, one's got to go. Tanner Hendrickson, Brooke Grimsley, and Alex Ferrario. By the way, you have your opportunity now to win yourself a pair of Dead & Company tickets. If you are texter 101 and can tell us what team the reporter worked for that had that uh, <laughs> necklace that trended on Twitter. What team the reporter worked for that uh, went trending on Twitter. If you can tell us that in Texter 101, you win yourself a pair of Dead & Company tickets. We'll come back, announce the winner, and uh, hit the rewind before we start the fast lane here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. from Illinois. He won the pair of Dead & Company tickets, and if you missed your opportunity, well, still plenty of opportunities for you to get a pair to see Dead & Company, the final tour coming to Hollywood Casino Amphitheater next summer on June 7th. A bonus chance for you to win free tickets. Go to ESPN, 101ESPN.com, or check it out on your 101 mobile app, the final tour of Dead & Company. And if you missed anything from our show today, you can check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. 
Ticketmaster.com, presented by our friends at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We had uh, Mike Farron on with us in the 11 o'clock hour to talk a little Cardinals offseason. We had our NFL Pick'em Challenge, which uh, you can follow along with our picks over the weekend to see BK get punished once again. As we hit our rewind here before we get into the fast lane, I figure we touch back on the Blues before we head into this weekend where they take on the Edmonton Oilers. And Pavel Buchnevich skated earlier today with the Blues out in Edmonton, according to Jeremy Rutherford. Uh, So that is a good sign. Hopefully that transitions into tomorrow afternoon's game. But they don't skate tomorrow which tells me that more than likely he's going to be playing uh, just that day off. But going into this final one with our rewind against the Edmonton Oilers, Brooke, I think the biggest thing that I'm going to be focused in on is how Craig Berube deploys Robert Thomas and Ryan O'Reilly against this line of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and Zach Hyman and Evander Kane. I think that's going to be very telling of how the season's going to go with how Craig Berube utilizes those top two lines well yeah I think a hundred percent especially with Robert Thomas we want to continue to see him take that big next step right I mean he it seems like each season he continues to grow as a player so I think this will be a huge test for him a huge test for Jordan Cairo I'm really looking a lot of these younger guys these kind of young rising stars and how they will handle this challenge and then also too defensively as well you know I mean Justin Falk was fantastic Colm Pareko was solid. You know, I would like to still see more with that chemistry, with that pairing with Letty and Pareko. Maybe it was just because they need to get their footing a little bit, but still, um, you've been encouraged with these first two games. Now, how can they handle this huge test moving forward? Yep. We'll see what they do tomorrow night against tomorrow afternoon against Edmonton. I'm going to do that all day tomorrow. Three well, o'clock. Used to a three o'clock game. <laughs> no, I'm really not. They've had all kinds of weird ones. We've already had a Sunday one too. It's strange, but it's a three o'clock puck drop tomorrow in Edmonton. I've got your first community credit union pregame show starting at two o'clock along with Joe Vitale. Brooke, it's been great having you in this week for BK Tanner. Great job as always. Have a great weekend, everyone. Stick around the fast lane from two to six next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.